You're listening to Can't Read, Can't Write. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Can't Read, Can't Write, the podcast that proves to Wolverines Spartans can watch some freaking film. I'm Mike Jones, joined, of course, by my two co-hosts. First, the man who can see the future, Kevin Greck. And second, the man with limericks by the limo full, Alex Plum. Gentlemen, how are we feeling today? Oh, on the banks of the Red Cedar, my boys. On the banks of the Red Cedar. I uh, After the game, uh, the wife and I did a little walk around East Lansing, and we are like, um, I feel bad for the students. You know, it's both Halloween and it's a Michigan win. You have to be in your homes and it's all so sedate and everyone's behaving themselves. Then we get home and we look at what happened earlier in the day on uh, social media. And um, they got it out of their system fast. I'll say that. You got to give the residents of Cedar Village a little bit of credit where credit is due. Yeah. And Um, ELPD on their heels, much like a University of Michigan corner uh, trying to guard any number of our wide receivers. Uh, Thank you, of course, for listening to the pod, an exceptionally smug version of it. Uh, If you could do us a slight favor, please share the podcast with Spartans in your life. Follow us in the old Twitter machine. It's at Spartan underscore pod. And of course, rate, review and subscribe to this show. Can't read, can't write. Plum. Let the people know, what are we doing today? Guys, the structure of the show, it doesn't really change week after week. Today, as always, we're going to start on the Green Wall, a segment where we will cover Michigan State University's handling of a university in Michigan's football team this past weekend. And we'll talk a little scheduling news on the basketball front. But of course, football always leads on the Green Wall. We'll head off uh, Grand River after that, a segment where we may or may not dunk a bit more on U of M before (laughs) doing a larger roundup of the Big Ten and other shenanigans throughout college football. After bumming you out with some COVID updates, because, I mean, why have a public health guy on here if not? uh, (laughs) We'll listen to Greg and Jones interview an exciting guest in the return of the No Dumb Questions, Just Dumb Host segment. You're really going to want to stay tuned for that portion of the pod. And then we'll wrap things up, of course, with a game preview of a crumbling Iowa and take your Twitter questions. It's a packed show, boys, so let's get to it. I want to take us uh, behind the green wall. And uh, I don't know, guys, is there anything sweeter than saying Michigan State defeats the University of Michigan 27 to 24 at Michigan Stadium? The first win of the Mel Tucker era and what some are calling a huge credibility win for a new regime. What did you guys like? Jones. Uh, So, well, not only is it Mel Tucker's first win, he joins Nick Saban as the only MSU coach to beat Michigan on his first outing. And uh, it is the only coach to have his first win be against the University of Michigan. Obviously, COVID played a huge part in that, but still uh, very exciting. I I think there's a lot to like about this game. Um, the the piece for me, though, that uh, that I think was most exciting was to see that what we all believed was true about the wide receivers going into this season. Since the end of last season, even we we talked about on the pod that they were as good as advertised. The real shocker, Mm. though, is that one we were not really covering one Ricky White, true freshman, (laughs) stepped up in a big way. Um, And I think we'll 
break down a little bit more, but it, it, it what the the pieces that it's interesting is we talked a lot about Jaden Reed being the guy, a dude and a guy. Michigan made a very choice decision to try and lock him down. Bad news for them. They couldn't lock everybody down. Right. Uh, and, and that led to Ricky White having a, maybe the most incredible freshman game is uh, certainly against Michigan of all time. Greg, how about you? Uh, there were two things that really jumped out to me. One was taking care of the ball. I mean, as we established last week, MSU lost to Rutgers because of seven turnovers, nine, including, you know, uh, turnover on downs. None this week. So none. the pendulum swings all the way the other way. I'm sure the truth on that is somewhere in the middle. I'm guessing, you know, we haven't seen the last of interceptions or fumbles this year, but it showed us that this team can play clean. And that last week was at the very least uh, a blip. Uh, it wasn't, you know, something that we have to get used to seeing out of this MSU team. The other side is the lines, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like last week against Rutgers, I watched this O-line get penetrated, pounded. Which one do you want? Uh, <laughs> either, either's fine, but, but yes. please continue. <clears throat> a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Uh, this week they were getting pushes. I mean, just look at the last play of scrimmage, you know? They pushed Michigan back in a second and fourth, fourth down, two two to go is what I wanted to say. <laughs> and it wasn't even like, you know, Rocky Lombardi is a big dude and he's going to pick those yards up anyway. But they, he just sort of rode the wave of the O-line on what, you know, everyone in the building, all 4,000 people in the big house, you know, knew was going to happen. So I, I don't know what happened from one week to the next. Um, but that really stood out to me as well. Greg, I would just add that in Rocky Lombardi's post-game show or post-game interview, first of all, his vibe is tremendous. If anyone mm -hmm. has not watched Rocky Lombardi give that interview, I love everything about it. And the um, hair is making its way back, by the way. Yeah, and we've, know. for the record, this podcast has always believed in Rocky um, and uh, has never believed anything else. But the <laughs> there was a point in time uh, where... Uh, Rocky Lombardi said regarding that very play, if you can't get a yard and a half, what are you even doing? And I was like, were you, were you on the team last year, bro? Yeah. <laughs> like, Oh, Rocky. <laughs> well, we, we can agree. We can agree. And I think, uh, Greg, you said this well, uh, both sides of the line, uh, we own the line of scrimmage, both sides of the ball. And I think Michigan not being able to run Michigan, not being able mm -hmm. to pass protect Michigan, not being able to put any pressure on old Rocky Lombardi it really says something about the state of this play. And I think for me, it gives me some new hope about the offensive line. Um, you'll notice even we had an injury there, I think in the third quarter, in the replacement, it didn't feel like you, you, you even felt a, yeah. a bump in the play calling. So there's a lot to like, but I wonder, you know, what in your view are some things that you were still concerned about? Because um, there were still, you know, I don't know if you want to call them cracks in the foundation, but we definitely saw some areas that could evidence some concerns going forward. I mean, offensive play calling is probably <laughs> the the one that we would go to. I mean, at a certain point, they did learn to just, you know, push uh, for the long bombs. I'm not sure that we've seen Rocky Lombardi convert some throws. And he, he's going to need to end up converting like over the middle and in the, you know, either intermediate range. Uh, uh, 
was it the third quarter or was it early the fourth quarter where MSU was deep in its own territory? They start the drive with a holding foul or something like that. It's first and 20. Yep. And they rush three times and then punt the ball. Yep. Like, yeah. I think I was feeling pretty good about this MSU team starting the second half, really. It's something like that that gives me a little bit of pause. You know, if I were in real time doing the ESPN win probability tracker manually myself, I would have inched it a little <laughs> bit towards Michigan after something like that. Because I I think one thing that I've liked about this team is that Mel Tucker seems to be aggressive, and that was not aggressive at all. Uh, Jones, anything that jumped out to you was a potential concern in spite of the win? Yeah, I mean, the third and 15 uh, that I think there were twice that that happened where they ran on third and 15. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's certainly some maybe the maybe conventional take is that they really didn't want to turn the ball over. And so, you know, they were you, you don't you don't love someone sort of rolling over on the drive, but that maybe those that, that was the case. The thing that stood out to me, though, is that Bryce Berenger, uh, the punter has a cannon for a leg and I'm wondering if maybe he's not capable of putting any real touch on the ball. Hmm. And so that additional 15 yards behind scrim, you know, or behind, you know, the, the yard to gain, uh, was, they felt confident that they could, cause on one of them, they did indeed pin Michigan behind, I think behind the five, behind the 10. Um, and so I'm just kind of wondering if they're like, we're probably not going to get this. We've got a good punter, at least at one thing. And if that was the sort of concession they had to make, hmm. um, otherwise I honestly, no, there, there was not much to be upset about. Uh, I guess, a uh, person, uh, getting called for the, uh, the unsportsmanlike, um, kind of grumpy about that but mel tucker gave him the what for so in his eye you know we had a twitter question about this from john hubbard um so i wonder if we just handle it now and it comes back to some of that the the play calling it comes back to i think to this mel tucker process you know what do you say about the play calling in this game generally and 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 having seen now two games um where we refuse to kick the ball right on on a down where it was very clear that we should have where we're running on third and 15 when it doesn't make any sense this says something about this Mel Tucker process. What what can either of you, Jones, let me start with you. What can we say, you know, what are you seeing in terms of what is this Mel Tucker process right now? So, so I think Mel Tucker is trying to put together a brand of football that he's going to actually play by. Now, you know, he talks a lot about him and Jay Johnson being multiple. And what he means by that is that, you know, we're going to play to what the guys, you know, the talents kind of that we have and the guys that we have. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, nonetheless, he is going to show any and every recruit the thing I'm going to do is I'm going to run and I'm going to pass and I'm going to run whenever I feel like it. And that is the brand of football that I'm going to play. And, and so, you know, you see balance and, and sometimes it's a little bit of, you might feel sort of false balance, but if they, if they didn't keep them honest on the run, weirdly, they would have been able to, you know, potentially thwart our passing attack a bit more. And we ended up with, I think, 125, 129 uh, yards on the ground, Mm -hmm. which is fine. Like, it's not good. It's fine. Um, And you you almost wonder where they any of them came from. But if we hadn't been passing so well, we wouldn't have been getting those rushing yards. So I just 
to me, that's there are certainly questionable calls, but generally speaking, this was a well-scouted game. They clearly told the team what the plan is and the team bought in on the plan. And that was really exciting. Greg, what do you think? Yeah. Of the 80 plays from scrimmage uh, or 70, pardon me, that MSU had uh, 88 rushing attempts, 32 or 38 rushing attempts, 32 passing attempts. Um, Hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I, I mean, I, it sort of gets back to that, like, what is the identity of this team going to be? And it does sound like they are going to establish the run even when it's not working. Last week, it wasn't working at all. This week, it worked some. I think they were averaging, you know, like 3.5 or something yards per rush uh, over 38 attempts. So, um, you know, uh, what do you guys think about Eli Collins getting one carry this week and what two or three carries last week. Like I know Tucker keeps emphasizing that playtime is determined by performance in practice. Are we supposed to, uh, to my knowledge, there's been no talk of an Eli Collins injury. Are we supposed to take glean from this, that Simmons and Hayward are going to be taking most of the snaps until otherwise stated. Well, I want to be on the record as saying I've never said a bad word about uh, Hayward ever. <laughs> I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna have to stop you right there. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly, you know, uh, I, I certainly never said that. For all this talk about all the things he can do, uh, he hasn't proved it ever, and so I'm sick of the media claiming this. Uh, I've always said he has great hands, um, and I, I, I. I'm frustrated by Hayward starting. I will say that. Yes. Um, You know, he clearly was a contributor and an important one, and they started to use him in interesting ways. Um, You know, not quite the ways I would have expected, um, but better. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, the Eli Collins not being there. I mean, you Jordan Simmons is running real well, right? Like it's hard to deny that. And it, let's say, let's say Eli, when the, when the season got canceled the first time or postponed the first time around, let's say he just didn't work out very hard or let's say during camp, he did get COVID yeah. and missed a big chunk of camp. It's not crazy to think that he's having to work himself back into things, right? Yeah. It's- did you notice uh, regarding, sorry, Plum, no, but regarding Hayward, two receptions on the game, two touchdowns on those yep. receptions. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they were mm-hmm. big, they were big receptions and he recovered yeah. the onside kick in yep. the waning seconds after the referees gifted the University of Michigan a phantom 17th timeout for reasons Dude. as yet unclear. Dude, um, what? Yeah, we got to talk about Michigan's last last possession, last offensive possession at some point. But go ahead. Well, Brian. I will say that it seemed to me at least that Mel Tucker understood what was going on because he didn't seem nearly as confused as I did. Um, yeah. I, I got an explanation on it for whatever it's worth is there was a, an injured, there was a timeout called on the field um, on Michigan's last drive. And instead of, you know, there was some thought that Harbaugh had used his timeout, um, but he opted not to. And they just sort of ran up to the thing and the, you know, the clock started, but Fox never caught it. And yeah. so that's why, there was too much time and, and, you know, Michigan still had all three timeouts. That's what yeah. happened. 
quality broadcasting, quality news division. That's great. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so I don't know. We, we, we've kind of opened this up with Connor Hayward, with Jordan Simmons, Eli Collins. Talk to me a little bit about biggest player position difference since week one. And I know that's only a one week difference. I know it's a very small sample size. But, you know, other than those three, who are the big impactful players right now uh, that are that are emerging in week two that maybe we weren't paying as much attention to in week one? Greg? I mean, you got to move over to the defense, right? At this point, mm-hmm. like those guys played a fantastic job. And, you know, number 35 or whatever his name is, who know, who even knows who it is? Uh, <laughs> Antoine Simmons, like all over the place. Fanta- probably, you know, if you were just to look at this game in a vacuum, you might say that was the best player on the field. Hmm. So, I, I mean, yes, uh, if we could just talk about the last uh, Michigan uh, possession for a minute, like they... <laughs> The defense forced them into taking things that made them run five minutes of clock. Yeah. When there was six minutes of time left yes. and they needed two touchdowns. So indeed like, yes. it, has there been a worse scoring drive that anyone's ever seen in their football life than what <laughs> Michigan or maybe what MSU forced Michigan to do in their last possession? Like, well, isn't it isn't it telling that you know after the week one loss there was the the comment that the difference between the D'Antonio scheme on defense mm-hmm. and the the Tucker scheme is that under D'Antonio you tried to force everything to the side right and and under Tucker you try and force everything to the center hmm. and so think about late game when the clock matters. If you're forcing mm-hmm. everything to the center, that clock's going to keep running and and they didn't play prevent, but they just they let them have all the underneath routes. Yeah. Right. Like it was keep the ball in front, keep it in the center. That's it. And then into your point, Greg, like, I mean, it was, it was masterful. I didn't mean to cut you off, but like, I think that was a real key difference because you could see D'Antonio teams where teams chipped away in the same way, but they found the sideline every freaking time. And it was maddening. Yeah. Well, I think you guys have handled the uh, the defense well, but I, I want to start with a tweet here from Evie underscore Marie 24, who's suggested some pretty, um, well, let's just leave, let's just use her words. Ricky White is a dude and also a guy. Hope you appreciate this insightful analysis. <laughs> guys, r- response. <laughs> I mean, Greg, I, you, you took, you chose to write out the box score. So do you want to take this one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so imagine you're Ricky White, right? You're a three-star trash recruit from Georgia. Uh, Georgia's daughter. Georgia. Which, uh, there was an interesting aside in Mel Tucker's press conference. He mentioned that he knew Ricky from recruiting Georgia. Uh, I took a, lo- a look at his recruiting profile. No Colorado offer on there. So wow. Yeah, he knew him it- from when he was at Georgia. <laughs> okay, Gorgeous. no Georgia offer on there either. Uh, anyway, uh, so this guy comes out second game of his entire career and just blows up Michigan, like eight receptions, 196 yards, one touchdown, uh, unbelievable game. Like he right? didn't know who they were. Like who, yeah. who, who are they again? Oh, oh, I'm supposed to care about this program. <laughs> So uh, huge. I mean, what is the old adage? Like he'll never have to buy a drink again in Eastland. Like you never have to buy a cup again at a yeah. East Lansing house party. 
you can keep that five dollars in your pocket, Ricky. And and I think I, I do wonder how much of the shine from Ricky. Don't get me wrong, like he he ran pretty great routes. Uh, he's obviously very fast. Had great uh, you know great vision on the ball, and so was was timing himself well uh, well in that. But he's five eleven, and like I think I might be heavier than him, mm-hmm. and so. I mean, if he's a dude and a guy right now, let's just say he's going to be a football player when he's had some more time in the weight room. I think um, we have to be very, very <laughs> excited about the promise that uh, Mr. Ricky White brings to the program. And frankly, I'm more excited about this team than I thought I would be and probably deserve to be. But, you know, in days like these, uh, I think we all deserve the optimism that this game has given us. Uh, yes. If for no other reason, that's right. Then, we deserve this. We deserve this. If for no other reason that we went from seven turnovers to um, how many again? Let me count on my hand how many we had this one. Oh, none. We had we had no turnovers, you guys. We had goose egg turnovers. <laughs> that is, that's such a nice improvement. I'm, yeah, it, really very it feels active. good. It, it feels good coming off the tongue. It's ah, great. Mm, good mouth feel to it. Uh-huh. All right. Uh-huh. Well, there's a lot to be said. There's a lot we have said. Um, so I don't know. As we kind of wrap up this uh, this this kind of uh, review of the football game, you know, I wonder about what this does for the Mel Tucker era in your eyes. Short term, thinking, you know, the next however many games we get, I don't know if we're going to get six more games. I think we can all be careful. Yeah. For the yeah. longer term, though. I mean, we've already made allusions. I mean, in two weeks now, we have made allusions to the John L era. And now the Nick Saban era. So, so you you tell me. I mean, I don't want to prognosticate, but you tell me what that means. Um, you know what what what, what do we where, where do we go from here? Jones, you Did, want to take short term? Didn't I say trust the process last week, and you guys kind of laughed at me? I think I did. Yeah, yeah, I think I did. I think I think it, it, maybe this is this is both a short term and long term answer. Trust the process. Uh, I mean, uh, what I saw is that Mel Tucker's uh, staff is very good at watching film and and planning for a game. And they 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 took a long hard look at that Rutgers game and scouted the Michigan game and came up with a game plan that was effective, got buy-in from their team and played to every strength we had. And that mm-hmm. included making sure that we didn't turn the ball over. Hmm. So yeah. Uh, what does this do for the Mel Tucker era? I guess more broadly, whether short or long term, is I think it it gets us back to where we thought we were going to be at the mm-hmm. beginning of the season, which is just it's year year zero, baby. Like it's fine. Yeah, it's it, you know it, he's got to get his guys a Harbaughism there, um, and and he's building something, and it's exciting. Greg, what do you think long term? Well, I would just add short term. It averts disaster. Right. Sure. Yes. It at the very least, he whatever happens for the rest of this year, and I don't want it to fall into the like all MSU really cares about is the Michigan game, and they could lose every other game and we should win Michigan, and they would love it. What it does is that it shows the or you know Rutgers was a blip. This is a team that can win games. There's upward potential here, regardless of what happens the rest of the season. And I think we do expect this team to still be about four and four, about 500 club at the end of it. Um, it, it shows that, you know, this, this staff and this group of guys can win games. I think in the long term, 
again, it kind of helps avert disaster, right? It gives it gives the program something to look at. It gives the ability, you know, to say, listen, you know, we played some young guys. They played big, they made big plays. We saw that in practice. You work hard. You come here. You're going to get time on the field. You're yes. going to get the Ricky White treatment. Uh, oh, I didn't even think about that. That's a good point, Greg, mm. that, that Ricky White is tape you sell to a recruit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it, I, and it helps the fan base too. Like it, it tells the fan base, do not panic. And this could have happened with any big, you know, relatively large game. You know, if he beat Penn State, Ohio State, or Michigan, it's all the same. You know, it's sort of like this system can work. It will work. Give him some time. Give him an opportunity. And fortunately, the fan base doesn't have a choice. You know, <laughs> with his contract, he's going to be here for five years no matter what so uh it's yeah. it's a good position to be in well said uh, for us we are uh six and four right now in the last 10 matchups uh, in our series with the university of michigan last 10 last 10 games the last 20 we're even so you think about the number of times that we've seen michigan and you go back 20 contests to see a f- sort of 500 record right now you go back 10 more the last 30 and it's 17 and 13 and now in michigan's favor but i think you know, the, the point remains that this sort of big brother, little brother mentality, the sort of Michigan mythology that's been built, that there are sort of this, you know, I, I read this uh, on uh, Twitter actually before the pod this afternoon. Um, there are the old rich guy at the country club who's near senile <laughs> bumping along on the wall. No one knows how he got there. No one really knows why he's still a member um, other than apparently he pays his dues on time, but he isn't certainly contributing anything to the club. Um is this not what University of Michigan represents? Maybe not just in our rivalry, but in the Big Ten in general. Um, so let me. I want to. I want to kind of push back on that because I think to to suggest that does us a bit of a disservice. Okay. Right. Because we're we're going to get into some U of M excuses, and you've gotten the sort of oh it was Rich Rod, oh it was Hoke, and then you know the the Harbaugh savior came and and things were better. Um, but. I think the reality is that one of two things has to be true. Either, sure, what you suggest is, I mean, maybe I I see some of the color there. Um, I think certainly there's plenty of of Michigan wanting wanting so desperately to be what they used to be, that they're willing to will it into existence. Except for... But let's not pretend that Michigan isn't... Well, but all right, fine. But like, let's not pretend that Michigan isn't isn't in a tier of football, right? That is better. Like they're not Nebraska, right? Even, even in, in down, they're still not Nebraska. Even though Nebraska does have more national championships in the last 20 years. Fine, fine. But let's, this isn't, this isn't my, my point is that maybe the counter argument is that Michigan state vis-a-vis Mark D'Antonio found itself a seat at the table. That's my takeaway from this. this yeah, that's, mythology, that's my point. Yes. This mythology, that, and we'll get into this in a second. I think we're going to dedicate more time to this, but that just Michigan is so much exceptionally better than MSU is dead. They can believe it if they want, but it is it has no basis in reality. The fact that MSU has a better... However you want to structure the timeline over the last 10 years, 15 years, MSU has a demonstrably better record. 
20 years it's even and over 30 years which is which is generous in terms of what's relevant to college football right. today that's when they have a slight edge in the in the rivalry it's dead i this isn't 2005 2006 i'm not personally scared of michigan anymore no we are moving on from this it's over jim harbaugh their savior coach is 3 and 3 against msu hmm. So even when they get their guy, they're not better than us. Indeed. Well, well, guys, th- there was a football commitment today, but um, as exciting as it is, it, it feels like uh, we might need to talk about that when we're a little more confident in, in our ability that uh, what is already a stupid long podcast doesn't go even stupid longer than normal. <laughs> so <laughs> let me let me pass the mic back to Jones to walk us uh, to walk us. Uh, you know, um, behind the green wall as it goes to basketball. Well, I mean, this is, uh, we have very two simple topics here. Uh, first is, uh, do we want to do thir- thirst trap or do we want to talk about scheduling first? Oh, we talk about thirst trap. Yeah. All I'm right. Very thirsty. So, <laughs> uh, Michigan state basketball, there's not much to say here other than just to literally analyze the bodies of young men, which, you know, I'm here for, God, you found a way to do it anyway. <laughs> In ways but, it on me. I thought I got away with it by moving past recruiting, but there, what God, you got me. But uh, Michigan State uh, men's basketball team released a picture which could, uh, at best, be described as uh, the December picture for a an MSU men's basketball calendar. Um, at the worst, it was, it was voyeuristic, but I wasn't yeah. upset. <laughs> it was uh it was a picture of the team in the weight room um we don't need to provide any more details they are um going to work i guess is the best way to say it uh i think the thing to take away uh if we're gonna be super creepy and look at bodies which we are marcus bingham got bigger and uh maddie sissoko it looks like a tank am i Correct me if I'm wrong here, Greg. You're least comfortable having this conversation. Go for it. No, I. Uh, what I took away from it was that they, uh, speaking of generous, they they hid Izzo behind. Like, they didn't want to. They didn't want to yeah. get people too too celebrating. Like, hey, don't let people see Stevie. They we want to r- unveil him at the proper moment. <laughs> Um, they're, no, gonna have, he, they're gonna have him bring the ball up behind Maddie Sissoko. So he's not like a screen in the conventional sense. It's just a visual screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, no, the team looked good. I mean, they're obviously working out. They're fit. They're healthy. I mean, as of right now, we're not aware of any injuries. Uh, so you know, if we ever get to play games, it's something to look forward to. Well, I was disappointed we didn't get to see that famous Izzo third nipple, and I think that's a real shame because that's uh, what they're really hiding from us. Yep, <laughs> the mark of the beast. We- <laughs> um, Plum, I want to turn this to you because you know uh, ESPN canceled uh, the Orlando Invitational, which we covered last week. Yes, and it appeared that the uh, the Champions Classic. Uh, was going to be canceled as well. Tom Izzo has said that we will be playing Duke, uh, period, and uh, that it sounds like the Big Ten ACC Challenge will also go on with us playing Virginia. Um, First of all, I mean, these are two 
you know, high caliber, uh, certainly marketable games. But what do you make of the fact that we're sort of persisting in the light of someone shutting it down for seemingly public health reasons? Well, you're absolutely right. I, I think one one of the questions that remains with the numbers growing as exponentially as they are, including in Michigan, um, somehow we're lucky in Southeast Michigan that we haven't quite been, uh, we've not gotten quite the same surge as as um, other places in the state and, of course, around the country have. Um, how an organization like the like, and we gave ESPN, I think, uh, an appropriate amount of uh, of of shenanigans last week for, for their sort of inability to figure it out. But if they couldn't figure it out with the weight of their pocketbook behind them, I'm, I'm really not sure what gives Tom the, the, uh, the, the unfounded confidence to suggest that we're going to be playing Virginia in the ACC big 10 challenge on December 9th. That, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That's a little more than a month away. Current trends are not promising. There has been no indication at least on the side of Michigan State, that we have our own bubble procedure in place. I don't know what a Big Ten ACC bubble process looks like. Again, we're not seeing the NCAA come out with any standards around what what team bubbles look like and when the major sort of private entrepreneurial engine, with, with which is ESPN in terms of its, you know, just all of the impetus behind them, the TV contracts, the, the financing, all of that not being able to put those pieces in play. Um, I, I just, I, it, it does not, it does not make me optimistic. This this isn't to say we're not going to have a season, and this isn't to say that um, if we're able to get some of this early emerging fall spike under control, that we don't have a more resilient, you know, mid to late December into January into the new year. Um, but the way that the trends are going right now, I would be very surprised if we hit this this date as 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 he seems to be optimistic that we will. Doctor Fauci agrees. Um... But it, it is uh, all the same. I think uh, this is a really – if either one of these games gets to go off, I, I think maybe that's the, the place to land on it, right, Greg, is that if we get to have one of these, um, that's a that's a very high-caliber non-conference game we're able to get in before ultimately it being shut down shut down to league only. Is that is that maybe where we're heading and we should just be thankful if we can get one? I mean, these are two really good ACC teams. So like Virginia's considered to be like generally a top five team. Uh, Duke's considered to be generally a top 10 team. Uh, I'm happy to have either of them. Um, but of course, I I understand the logistics that go into it. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't think anyone really knows. Uh, so we'll find out. All right. Before we head off Grand River, uh, let's have a word from our sponsor, Greg. Thank you, Jonesy. Uh, Brandon Sands, guaranteed rate. Mortgage rates are at <laughs> near historical lows, you guys. Exceptionally ro- low rates. Unbelievably good rates. And if you happen to be in the market to buy a home, we've got a mortgage loan originator for you. Our guy, Brandon Sands. Brandon Sands. Brandon with an E. Sands with a Z. has closed over 10,000 loans and works for guaranteed rate, of course, one of the largest uh, mortgage lenders in the country. So Brandon sets himself apart with a consultative approach and uh, he'll take care of you, man. So if you if you look at that old mortgage statement and it says something like 4% or higher, you know, what's that APR? If it's up in that register, you got to call Brandon. You got to call him now because he's helping people save hundreds, sometimes thousands per month by consolidating in other interest, you know, high interest debts uh, and refinancing that home loan. 
as he did with me. So give him a ring or visit rate.com slash Brandon Sands. That's rate.com slash B-R-A-N-D-E-N-S-A-N-Z. Do it today like I did before. Not I love how you gave me flack for spelling it out and then you went ahead and did it. Yeah, but I did it with style. Oh, <laughs> and panache, I might add. Okay. Uh, let's head off Grand River. And um, Greg, you had a wonderful line that you didn't utilize above um, regarding the University of Michigan. And, and so um, <laughs> we... We should be kind to our U of M listeners who were relatively kind in defeat. Um, I think you used the word magnanimous, which was quite delightful. Yeah, we um, should cut that. But uh, that doesn't but fit the, the brand. No, it does not. Uh, but uh, most of Plum's vocabulary doesn't, in fairness. Um, Womp. <laughs> <That does. laughs> but it, it, but so we are going to continue to dunk on Michigan for a little bit because I think they are in a place where look this was this was certainly an unexpected loss and either you have to confront the fact that Michigan State outcoached you or your coach didn't take care of business and he hasn't taken care of business at home against us and Ohio State almost every single time so let's talk about U of M in a broader perspective and you know, they're paying a lot of money for Harbaugh to win games and he's not winning the ones that he needs to. Well, yeah. I mean, this, this is sort of a continuation of what we were saying before, right. Of a, like this myth that they have of themselves and how exclusive they are and how, you know, the prestige of the program, you know, in the same way, you know, that there was a bit of a carbon monoxide leak on offense on their last drive, right. They were, they weren't hurrying yes. up. They weren't <laughs> doing things that they needed to do. They, they, the play calling was lethargic quite in the same way of that, that happened. I mean, that carbon monoxide leak carried through into Harbaugh's press conference. Dude was like a corpse sitting in front of that zoom screen. It was send like, help. He didn't care. He didn't even bother Life alert. Yeah. Oh. He didn't even bother. Like he's, his job is to coach young men to play football and he can't even bother in defeat to be like, you know, credit to MSU, you know, these are the things that our staff needs to do. This is, you know, I take this on me. Feign interest in this whole thing, right? Getting paid. I mean, it doesn't even matter what he's getting paid. You know, it, what's important is that he cares at all. And it, I don't know if it's like just an MSU thing or if this is just how he is now, but it's like, Take some interest in these games, man. Um, and then Joe Milton gets on there, and it's a lot of the oh. same stuff. You know, I first we keep asking this question when we talk about Joe Milton. I've asked this question several times in weeks past. Why does the Michigan fandom do this to themselves? Why did they take <laughs> the guy that they thought they were going to be was going to be the backup this year, turns into the starter, and then they just anoint him as the next, you know? coming of christ like yeah when he he has one speed when he throws and it's justin verlander rookie year yeah like like how do you bend over backwards convincing yourself that this is the guy when you didn't think that like nothing changed in between but anyway so in his press conference he gets a question about antoine simmons who as we discussed fantastic game 
and he pretends at first to not know who Anton Simmons is, which is like, even if that's true, that's some, some weak garbage. But imagine no, that if that's if that's true. Yeah, no, right. If it's true, it's bad. It's even worse if it's true, right? Like, because like, what are you doing all week? What film were you watching? Antoine Simmons didn't come out of nowhere. He's the captain of the defense. So, like, right? You're it, either a it, petulant child or you're so underprepared that Jim Harbaugh should be fired from malpractice. Yeah. Right now, <laughs> like, I. It's just the arrogance of this program that gets them in this position, you know? Uh, What they're getting out of Jim Harbaugh right now is Michigan. This is their program. They're going to beat up on bad teams. They're going to split some with good teams, and they're going to lose to great teams. And that's the program that they've always had. This myth of the you know, of these eras long past, you know, where they were, you know, on the, on the cusp of a national championship every year. It's garbage. Look at the bowl record going back, you know, during this time of, you know, these spectacular teams, it was awful. You know, you've won half a national championship in the last 50 years. And the other team, the other half of that national championship is in the conference. And then you get other teams that have won national championships or have at least been to the college football playoff. They're not you. So I think I'm a little worried that Michigan fandom has like started to figure this out, that, you know, everything that they keep telling themselves is a myth um, and that Harbaugh is not the guy. Fortunately. You know, the people that make the decisions in Ann Arbor haven't figured that out yet. And Jim Harbaugh is going to continue to be the coach there for at least several more years. I think we might get to the point where they force him to do, you know, some kind of purge of the assistants. Maybe, maybe they get to that point. But I I just. But but Greg, here's the thing is that so Harbaugh's contract is up this year, I believe. Maybe he has one more year left, but to the best of everyone's knowledge. It's not being negotiated. There's no extension, and, right? That's the story. Right. So no and you talk about the, the MSU, or not the MSU, the U of M fan base coming to grips with things. And I think we've got some relatively reasonable folks who maybe listen to our podcast. But I um, I saw some video of a, uh, of a U of M podcast that I could uh, best describe as vape juice personified, um, who, who was quite... <laughs> quite certain um that this was the year and it's the same it's the same high they're chasing every single year and i don't know if it's just a bunch of people who were kids when um when they were good in 97 like i'm just i i don't know what you expect i mean we're, we're braggadocious over here and quite smug today but like we don't have the same I mean, we had a pretty illusions of grandeur, right? Right. Like it's, it's always hope over here, but it's not belief. Like, and I think those are two very different things. And which maybe is is it, is it, that's the fair criticism of us as a fan base is that we, we should believe a little bit more, but anyway. Yeah. uh, It'll be interesting. I don't think there's any chance. I, I guess there's always a chance of something. It seems extraordinarily likely to me that 
they'll figure something out and Jim Harbaugh will get extended. Like they're not going to have him walk away. He's not retiring. I think, I think for me, I, I, I always wondered how we got the clown makeup off before the games, but I guess (laughs) my question now is what makeup is he using to hide the actual clown face? That is his natural visage. It is, um, it is alarming and concerning because what's the real mask. What's the real mask here? And I don't know the answer to it. The poor guy, well, he's not poor, is he? But he has, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's he's three and three against us, and that's probably better than I maybe would have expected, considering he's zero and five against Ohio State. He's got no Big Ten titles. He's one and four in bowl games, um, and he he continues to wear khakis that are both unflattering and ill fitting. Um, no, that's dated. Didn't you see they they took every opportunity to bring it up during the the broadcast because this is what's relevant to the game he's moved on to blue pants if i ever have to listen to joel Klatt's cloying (laughs) and absolutely vacuous nonsense again he ruined what should have been the best football game i'm going to see all season with his absolute ineptitude joel Klatt, i'm coming for you you (laughs) imbecile oh that was painful uh, Plum, before we move off of this though, you, you do, um, you have a, uh, a family divided as they like to say. We do. Um, the Plums are not of one mind on the no. business of the Michigan state Spartans. And, uh, the, the Plums that are misguided, uh, do they suffer from this annual delusion? And, and do you think there is any saving them? I mean, are they in a, uh, Breitbart-esque vacuum? I can't call it a Breitbart-esque vacuum because I will say that my father, and this is, I think, to his to his credit as a consistent man, um, remains a lifelong Lions fan. And so if you can be sure. a lifelong Lions fan, you can also maintain your fandom for the University of Michigan Wolverine. But I'm not I'm not talking about fandom, but like the belief that every year this is their year. Mm-hmm. I think that there is absolutely that delusion. Yeah, to be sure. But then again, I harbor it for Michigan State. Well, that's not true. I certainly didn't. You can check the tape from last week and knowing that we had very little optimism around this game um, as it was played. Except for I said that we would win. Okay, listen, Kevin, we we all know. We We don't need people taking victory laps right now. But I think let's take one, (laughs) one more, just one more. But I think what really strikes me, and I don't know if this is the case for all Michigan fans is, and and this goes to a point you made very early on in, in this episode, Mike, which is the dismissiveness they hold. They, you know, I hear from my brother and my father routinely, how, um, that the perception is for them that this game is the only game that matters to us that beating Michigan is the only thing that matters and that we can have an absolute garbage program. We could lose the rest of our games and that this is the only game that mattered. And that to them, this game doesn't really mean as much. And that really, you know, their big game is Ohio state. And, and I have to call bullshit on that because while this game is important to us and it should be important to us, it is explicitly clear to everyone that watched and all of the reactions in the Twitterverse that this game's that this game means every bit as much to a Michigan fan as it as it does to us, especially considering their record against Ohio State. They have no hope there. If they can't get us right, then really, what are they hanging their hat on? Yes, because it, 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 it is. It, that's right. It is. Um, it's a 
if this, then that sort of scenario, whereas that Ohio State does not matter to them until they clear us as a hurdle. Yes. That that if that we have become the bar for, all right, is this team maybe good? Yes. Right. Like they can't they can't buy into Ohio State until they beat us because we are the threshold for belief. Um, But speaking of belief, this is. I, I, look, it's a sample size of two. Uh, it is 2020, which I'm, I'm, I've used that trope and I'm starting to really get over it. But uh, it is the end times, and the Big Ten is askew. Yes, uh, a, a little, <laughs> uh, a little a hat kimbo. tip to verbose Dutch who pointed out that it is November 1st. Indiana, Purdue, and Northwestern are tied for first in their divisions, uh, while Minnesota, Iowa, Iowa, and Penn State are winless. Um, Greg, what the hell is going on in the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, Indiana's 2-0 in the conference for the first time since the early 90s. Um, so, I mean, that's that's where we're at. I mean, they've got wins against Penn State and, and uh, Rutgers. Um, Penn State, of course, goes on the road to Ohio State, which it's going to be difficult to win. And people are um, saying this is a different Rutgers team. So before people go jumping ahead, uh, some, some are even saying that Michigan's the new Rutgers of the big 10 and that Rutgers mm-hmm. is the new Michigan. Again, if I have to hear one more sideways comment about Joel Klatt, I'm absolutely going to destroy something. <laughs> but yeah, it's crazy. Northwestern and Purdue are two and oh, you know, Minnesota who was a ranked team going into the season gets handled by Maryland who looked awful last week against Northwestern. Uh, I, is it just, is it Ohio state and then another tier below? And we're all just sort of like scrapping around for second place. Cause like Ohio state looks really good. That's like the one guiding light right now in the big 10, right? Is there anything else? I mean, I, I don't want you to, I don't want to force you to will things into existence, Greg, but you did, assert that we would win this past week. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, do we trust the process? And is it possible that it's Ohio State and Michigan State and everybody else? Sure. Well, let's let's cover that when we get down to uh, to this next game against Iowa. Let's take a right. game at a time. That's part of the process. But I mean, I think we all knew that it was Ohio State and everyone else. I, I don't have I, there was too much to cover, but uh the class of 2022's number one quarterback decommitted from Texas. Yeah. And four days later is a commit to Ohio state who yeah. also has the number one cornerback and the number three cornerback in the class. Yep. Like, I, I mean, yes, it's Ohio state and everybody else. It's their recruiting lately is damn near it's Ohio state and everybody else in the country. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't like it, but maybe we send them with Nebraska to the Big 12 and just be cool with it. I just who who wants to go play for a guy whose eyebrows look like that? It, 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 it's just it's striking. <laughs> I mean, it, I don't I don't know how long he's there. I don't know what the uptick is. I don't know how I, I am. I am genuinely curious on that article. Like, and, and maybe that's something that I should just be doing a bit more research on. But it's not like Ohio State recruited poorly under Urban Meyer. No, but but this is different, right? I think it's I think actually I think it's largely the same. I could be wrong about that. But well, then Urban Meyer just isn't a good coach. And you heard it here first. <laughs> um, 
let's uh i i just want to cover a sort of lightning round a couple other things except except we will take a moment to dunk on nebraska but before we do i want to talk about oklahoma state who uh ended up losing but uh their opponent was attempting to kick a field goal and on the jumbotron behind the uprights Mm -hmm. they put a series of vertical yellow lines to visually disrupt the kicker yeah first of all how is that legal and second and related i don't know if it was fox that was pumping in the the crowd noise or whether that was the university of michigan itself but there were boos whenever a uh the ref called something against michigan yeah i think it was i think it's noise in the stadium that they pipe in how is that legal it it also could have been like an app that joel clatt had on his phone (laughs) (laughs) i mean because honestly if if harbaugh was chirping at the ref the ref would say something right yeah so i'm just surprised you're allowed to pipe in the booze for the refs it just feels a little silly we're in a a new world order all right (sighs) nothing is sacred anymore but from you officiating this this Oklahoma State thing, what gives? Yeah, this is garbage. That does do that does seem to cross a line. I will tell you that the the nearest equivalent we have in soccer would be the taking of kicks from the mark, and that is sacrosanct. So you are not able to, to no. There would be no. Um, can we say fuckery on the pod? There would none would be allowed behind the uh, none would be. That's the technical term. That's for the it. technical time in the in the laws of the game. We wouldn't allow any of that. So you you couldn't do anything behind the net. You know, we don't even allow people to stand back there. So if there are fans that would have been behind the net, they have to be removed before you can take a kick. So so that for there like is visual no, disruption. So there is no visual disruption. Now, folks want to scream. You know, that's one thing. But the other way to liken this, I guess, would be basketball. And you think about fans when there's a taking of a free throw. Now, this is different because the scoring opportunities in basketball, there are, I mean, countless. And in soccer, you know, especially the taking of a of a penalty kick is effectively a goal scoring. That's a goal scoring moment. And there are so few in mm-hmm. soccer, but you think about the number of times you stand behind the, you know, the, the basket and you know, you're everyone's waving their arms and then they shift to the left in the last second to try to distract the, the thrower. So there, there does seem to be some level of parody, but the amount of that's fans doing something. And I think we typically yes. allow fans a little bit of grace. This right. is the, the program, the athletic program itself mm-hmm. electing to engage in some sort of shenanigans yeah, because if the marching band keeps playing, right, right, like during, th- there's a penalty assessed for that. That's right, correct, That's exactly right. Yep. So that this seems to be extra. This seems to be in a. I would be, I would be surprised if we don't hear tomorrow that uh, the Big Twelve or something a, a levies a fine here for this. Well, they should. Um, before we head to COVID watch, we need to take a moment to discuss Nebraska. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nebraska, Nebraska a little bit more, even more than before. <laughs> And they're trying real hard. So for those who don't know, Nebraska was supposed to play the University of Wisconsin this week. University of Wisconsin had a number of players uh, test positive for COVID-19. And eventually the total population of the football program uh, was enough of them had COVID that the game could not be played. Um, Nebraska athletics does two things both offensive for different reasons. First was they sent out a sponsored tweet poll um, asking people whether Nebraska would have moved forward with the game had the the shoe been on the other foot, which (laughs) 
first of all, is insulting to your opponent because there was a bit of an implication that uh, that your opponent was sort of fibbing it because maybe their mm-hmm. their quarterback was sick. And second, let's pretend that you're not they weren't fibbing. You just were going to go ahead and bulldoze through with something that is legitimately threatening the public health. Um, and then Nebraska does something else offensive, which is they schedule a game with an FCS school that they say has stricter COVID protocols in the Big Ten and attempt to play the game without Big Ten consent. When they finally ask for it, the Big Ten says, nah, bro. Uh, Greg, what do we think here? Escort Nebraska out of the conference. Agreed. It was their uh, fans went out. Yeah, their fans went out as we've determined. You know, they don't really fit either uh, geographically or academically. Um, so go ahead and, and cut them loose. Uh, do the old Bugs Buddy just saw it off right there at the Nebraska border and then just like push it off into the sea of corn. Um, goodbye, Nebraska. Uh, clearly your values do not align with those of the rest of the conference. So, um, take off. That's I'm done with you. It's going to take a while for me to care about Nebraska or have any interest in Nebraska doing well for a while, because this seems to have, this has institutional weight behind it too. You know, this isn't just, this is generating real disdain. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't just. Nebraska's crappy fan base. I mean, there are other crappy fan bases. We just talked about one for a while. Um, <laughs> this is institutional on their behalf. Um, so I, I'm done with them. I, are, what about you guys? Plum is muted for some reason. So uh, <laughs> we'll vamp while I wait for the note on if Yali is having diarrhea right now. Yeah, Wasn't diarrhea this time. She did have a nice few nuggets, but daddy did not get back to the microphone in time to avert that fun little blip. <laughs> we appreciate uh, as always the Yali uh, defecation update. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that things have, you know, I don't know why yeah. we don't get more Twitter questions about my, the, the fecal habits of my canine. This seems to be a real <laughs> lost opportunity in the Twitterverse. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're heading in that uh, direction. Plum, uh, do you want to give us a quick COVID update? Because uh, sports seem to be a a, a bit of a vector. Uh, We're seeing more and more. Obviously, we just talked about the Big Ten um, having issues. Trevor Lawrence went out with COVID. Uh, Clemson's nearly lost to Boston College because of it, which is hilarious. Um, There was a study out of Minnesota. What can what can you tell people right now? as, as things seem to be getting much, much worse. Oh, it, it's getting very, very bad. In fact, it's funny. We've been ragging in Nebraska. They're number seven in terms of uh, overall highest daily average in the last seven days um, in terms of rate per 100,000. Uh, you don't want to be living in the Dakotas right now. You don't want to be living in Wisconsin, Montana, Iowa, Wyoming, Nebraska. Um, the Midwest, it turns out, the upper Midwest, man, the uh, sort of northern plain states are not the places to be right now. Um, yeah, cases are trending really, really high. Um, our own census count in the hospitals in Michigan right now is continuing to tick up. Um, New York times has got a 43% increase in new cases, 15% increase in deaths, uh, rolling averages over the last two weeks. Our own five day averages are in the hundreds now at uh, at the hospital where I work. So we're, um, we're not looking good. You know, these numbers, we knew they were going to tick back up. I think folks got complacent over the summer. We were a little optimistic. Um, but the, the truth is that, um, 
that it's not going to get better before it gets worse. And it's unclear yet exactly how, what the extent of that is going to be. Um, and so you're already seeing places like Chicago that are going back under some sort of imposed lockdowns in the United States. Obviously, Europe has already done that. Um, we've seen Germany um, move in a pretty um, drastic uh, direction. Paris has uh, just uh, this morning, I think, which would have been evening time yesterday um, or today, I guess. Uh, British, Brit- in Britain, uh, Boris Johnson came out and announced some more um, uh, quarantine measures for the population. You know, the, the the thing that they can do that we can't do is they have a little more centralized government control. And um, because, again, not to be political, but it is objective that the president has abrogated any responsibility he has to the public's health and failing to lead in this direction has left this to the states. And unfortunately, um, it's just become political in a way that it isn't. So it's it's very, very sad. I don't know if the election changes anything, if there's a new direction, um, but it remains to be seen that you have uh, political leaders and others that are, you know, sort of just saying, oh, yeah, hell, the the leader of the Michigan um, Senate, uh, the Republican leader in the Michigan Senate, Mike Shirky, recently said that this is something we're just going to have to live with. Well, mm-hmm. tell that to the folks that continue to die. The United Methodist Church lost their first um, pastor in the state of Michigan to uh, to COVID over the weekend. So, you know, a lot of folks mourning. This is personal for many of us. And um, as I say, it's only going to continue to get worse until uh, until it sort of balances out here. And at the current rate, that is not going to be in a good direction. So with with the cold coming on, I, I think it's, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I assume I can safely say whatever the most extreme thing you were doing under COVID in terms of limiting your exposure to uh, the populace, uh, go back to doing that. Yeah. Um, I think it's fair to say that in some sad ways, you, you know, you're just seeing a lot of spread right now and, and you gotta don't trust people. Like, I mean, it, it, you, you have to assume that everybody has it. And, um, but that said, if you are going to go out, I hope it's on Tuesday to go vote. So here, here, um, with that, uh, let's have a collective word from our dear friends at Preserved Homemade. Preserved Homemade is a goods and provision store bringing you tastes of home in the form of homemade treats. Their website just launched, which includes their first drop of goods, uh, a lineup of staple cookies, seasonal cookies, cocktail cherries, and pre-ordering available for Thanksgiving slash Friendsgiving pies. You can check out their Instagram page at preserved underscore homemade or head to their website at preserved-homemade.com to treat yourself or someone you love some homemade goodness. Uh, gentlemen, we've all had some preserved homemade, and uh, does anyone have any left? I already no. mentioned on the pod last week the utter deprivation and sense of forlorn loss that became my reality when I went through the delivery of baked goods that came to my home, when I totaled them as it were in a sitting, um, <laughs> bad for my belt line, bad for my, uh, mental health balance, but, but good for the psyche, right? Great for the psyche. And I, I might even say good for the soul because I now have hope, hope that I can reach out on preserved homemade.com to buy my next batch of chocolate chip cookies and to replenish that part of me that no amount of therapy will ever be able to improve. There's no, there's no joy like cookies on your doorstep. That's it. Yeah. Plum, Plum, what was better? The, the package of cookies or MSU beating Michigan, which would you prefer? Uh, Why do you have to create, why do you have to create impossible choices? A Sophie's choice as it were. 
<laughs> it's um, like the opposite of a Sophie's choice. It's uh actually, you know what? That feeling in your mouth, that feeling in your mouth mm. when we beat Michigan, the nearest thing you're going to have in a sort of corporeal form, yes. if you will, uh-huh. I will, is I have a preserved homemade cookie. That's true. That that is the nearest thing. That's the nearest thing. If you're chasing the dragon, it's at <laughs> preserve-homemade.com. Yes. All right. Uh, that That is as good of a plug as you will ever get. And the thing is, I think we all kind of believe that. That's not really much hyperbole. They're very good. So let's move on to our game preview. Um, Greg, uh, you did the Googlings on this. And then I have I have some what inside do you mean? knowledge I've to been share. breaking down Iowa film all week. You know, in preparation for this. What? I'm sorry. What's the insight you got? Oh, sh- boy. Share? God. Oh, no, no. You should give the uh, give the preview and then I'll share a quote from the yeah. underground. All right. So Iowa is 0-2. Losses to Purdue. Closer game, uh, 24-20. Uh, and Northwestern, 21-20. This was the Northwestern team that beat uh, Maryland the, the week before. Um, and it's 2-0. So not... Not that impressive. Uh, well, I guess maybe it is because they're both leading their division, the, you know, that, the Western division. Uh, one thing of note, their leading receiver and not uh, not necessarily the guy that is leading in, in receptions and yardage because that is their uh, tight end, Sam Laporta. Uh, but uh, their leading receiver uh, just got picked up last night, I believe, for driving 70 and a 35 while intoxicated. So oh. we won't have to worry about him on Saturday. He's got other things going on. Um, <laughs> but Other uh, obligations. Yeah. Quarterback Spencer Petras is playing relatively well. Yeah, fifty-four percent completion rate. He has thrown three interceptions, only one touchdown. For what that's worth, two games into the season. Tell me how you um, define relatively well. What's that? How do you define relatively well? I mean, fifty-four percent completion percentage is not the they worst. They put up forty points, and he counts for six of them. Oh, okay. yikes! Oh, that's a good point. Um, but yeah, most of their rushing production comes out of Tyler Goodson. Uh, you get more than half of the touches against NU. So, uh, keep in mind. Uh, keep that in mind as you're watching the game when Iowa is on offense, Sam Laporta and Tyler Goodson are going to kind of be the dudes for them. So um, I know Jonesy that you uh, have the ear or vice versa of one very dedicated Iowa fan. Uh, What, what did you get? What did you glean from that resource? Well, so I said, you know, I reached out to say sorry. You know, uh, in in fairness, uh, Iowa fans, despite one uh, one person on Twitter, um, are generally speaking good folk. Uh, my neighbor, in fact, an Iowa fan, uh, humped the air when he found out that we beat Michigan um, and shouted an F Michigan, which was delightful. But, uh, you know, so I reached out and I said, I'm sorry. And I said, you'll get them in two weeks, you know, because they're not going to win next week. But uh, he said, <laughs> would have preferred no season to this. Effing horse crap. <laughs> best effing receivers Ference has ever had and one of the best running backs and the offense continues to suck off effing cow balls. Which he has to go out of his way to be that bad because cows have no balls. Mm, uh, here, here. <laughs> we're 0-2 and literally have all of our hard games ahead of us. Dumb, dumb, burn it all to the ground. I'm over everything right now. <laughs> so <laughs> I just, I, I think that's important. 
not to not to dunk on the Iowa folks because we can certainly hey we lost to Rutgers, yeah. and if it weren't but but for the true high that we had this past week, we still would be in a dark place. Yeah. But um, I do think that is uh, that is deeply indicative of maybe sort of the feeling there. It's worth mentioning that it was a bit of a rough off season for Ferentz and company. Um, it, it has got to be rough for football players at large right now to be to be playing in the midst of a whole shitstorm that's happening uh, in, throughout the country. And yeah. so I I just, you know, Iowa might be weirdly in the middle of a collapse that no one would have expected out of Iowa because the hallmark of Iowa is, if nothing else, consistent-ish, right? Right. Well, so don't discount the amount of behind the scenes silliness that's going on there. I mean, a ton of institutional and internalized racism coming to the fore recently with new revelations from the former players, from the coach, his idiot son, and their general lack of decorum and sensibility. Um, you have to think that that spills over into the team, right? That they, they see that, they feel that, and that there's going to be an expression of that when they take the field. It may well be. I, I'm not, I'm, Certainly, uh, it it is you 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 can't be anything other than shocked that that Iowa's zero and two right now. With it, I mean, Northwestern fine after the one shellacking, but like Purdue, yeah, it, it defies logic. Although we've lost to Purdue, yeah. All right, it's true. Well, uh, Plum, I think we have a uh, a, a great not a sponsor this week. We sure do guys. This week's episode of can't read, can't write is not brought to you by Don Brown visors. Listen, in this age of COVID one can't risk one safety, but when endowed with a mustache as fulsome gray and well-appointed as Wolverine defensive coordinator, Don Brown's can one afford to hide it behind a cloth mask? (laughs) Absolutely not especially when one's poor defensive performance is going to be hiding behind allegations of biased referees, a Swiss cheese secondary, and months-old COVID diagnoses. No, no, masks simply won't do. So turn instead to Don Brown visors. Made of repurposed plastic salvaged from local garbage dumps, Don Brown visors are big enough to cover your entire face without obstructing that glorious lip broom. While they won't hide the expression of loss and devastation as Ricky White completes for another first down, they'll probably protect the other idiot savants around you from getting splattered by your spittle as you swear and moan about your own ineptitude. Don Brown visors found wherever you buy your khakis. (laughs) Oh, Don Brown, we thank you. All right, folks, it is now time for No Dumb Questions, Just Dumb Podcast Hosts, where we told you we were thrilled to be joined by a special guest. Some of you may know him already, but for those who do not, he formerly wrote for SpartansWire.USAToday.com. He is the current co-host of Locked on Spartans, and his latest venture is a brand new newsletter, SpartansWill.Substack.com. We are thrilled to be joined by Will Hunter. Will, how are you doing? I am fantastic. It's it's hard to be anything other than great. <laughs> yes. After last weekend, especially considering like we're on a Michigan State podcast, so I feel like I can't say anything other than I'm doing fantastic. So I'm great. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Glad to have you. 
it's a wonderful week on a on a season that I think none of us doubted was going to be anything but spectacular. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's it's great. I'm going to ride high all week, well into the Iowa game. Um, so I think we'll uh, in this segment, uh, what we try and do is answer a question from a, a listener who uh, maybe wants to ask something about football or basketball terminology that mm-hmm. uh, you know they can sort of ask without fear of shaming. Sure. Um, and so uh, certainly want to go over that. This week's question is, what is the Wildcat? But uh, before we get there, you got a second to talk about the Michigan victory? I, or rather, Michigan loss in the Michigan State yes. victory. <laughs> I've, got, <laughs> I've got plenty of seconds to talk about that. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, how are you feeling about it generally? Well, um, in a vacuum, in the micro level, uh, it was awesome. Uh, just one of the, I don't know, I, I think a, a surprise in sports is always really fun. It's great having teams like 2013, 2014, 2015, where you're like, all right, double digit wins. Let's try to win the conference. Let's maybe make the playoff, compete for a New Year's Six Bowl, right? Those are great. But when you've got a team that has lowered expectations and it's hard (laughs) to really lower them further than going out week one, losing to Rutgers, (laughs) new staff, new regime, new everything. And it's just like, I don't want to say panic had set in. But people were certainly like rooting through their drawers trying to find a panic button that they didn't think they would need in a pandemic year zero, right? So when you have a team like that and you get to go on the road to your hated rival who's ranked and you're 21 and a half, I think it was 21 and a half point dog at kick, but it got up to 25, big underdog. Like that's just really fun. It's almost like the whole house money thing nothing to lose. And the more that game's going on, Michigan state fans are probably rising up, rising up. Like, are they going to, are they, they're going to do that? Are they going to do what? And Michigan fans are shrinking and puckering and getting (laughs) smaller and smaller. Oh no, it's happening again. This is going to be a nightmare. And so it's not as impactful, maybe uh, certainly not as 2015 or 2013, because of what those seasons ultimately became. But that was so much fun. Uh, And I think we're going to see some big, really important, we're already starting to see some big, really important recruiting uh, results fall out from that because Mel Tucker didn't get the year one new coach smell recruiting bump. He got, you know, the pandemic robbed him of that. (laughs) And it looked like it was going to be like, oh, man, let's see how this first full class goes. If they go one and eight, two and seven, eesh, you beat Michigan and state recruits are starting to go, hey, I can see the vision now. I just like you're selling when you when you're a new coach, you're selling hope. You really are. You're selling hope. Mel Tucker had to sell a hope, sell a vision. Watch us get back to where this this program was. And now he's got a result immediately. You know, year six of Jim Harbaugh, year one of Mel Tucker, not his players, mid-level conference talent going into Ann Arbor and, and beating a team that expected to compete for the Big Ten. It's just fantastic. Um, it's it's hard to be anything other than just thrilled about it. And we'll see, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a minute, but like from a macro level moving forward, kind of what does it mean? Obviously, that is yet to be determined because, guys, it's only week two, despite it being November 2nd. <laughs> right. 
Uh, well, I, I gotta tell you, I, one of the things that stuck out to me, and I don't know if you've had a chance to break down the tape yet, or, mm-hmm. or if there was anything that jumped out to you while you were watching the game. And I know, you know, you do a great job of breaking down the film Thank you. Uh, in your newsletter. Uh, I, the, the line play mm-hmm. on both sides of the ball mm-hmm. really struck me in yeah. this game from one week to the next. Is there anything in particular that you noticed while you were watching? Yeah, Jacob Slade probably had his best game as a Spartan, mm-hmm. and he's a you know rotation player last year, stuck behind Panashuk and Raekwon Williams. That's okay. He still was able to get his feet wet as a redshirt freshman. So maybe saying his best game ever is not like this almighty wow thing, but he ate Michigan's interior the entire game. He was pushing guides into the backfield. I went through this on the newsletter, spartanswill.substack.com. Nice. One Ellen will. That's very important. <laughs> Spartanswill.substack.com. Yeah, I got a quick aside. Were your parents like super into efficiency? <laughs> My full name is Wilhelm. Wilhelm. Okay. I'm German. Okay. German. Gotcha. Yep. So I go just one Ellen will. Um, but I, so I went through the film room in that. And one of the things I highlighted was like, hey, let's watch Jacob Slade just wreck the middle of Michigan's uh, run offense. And he did. He was consistently getting pushes. Just getting through guys. And I, he was okay. The front was okay against Rutgers. They had some tough moments, but they kind of rebounded and and, mm-hmm. and did a good job later in the Rutgers game. Uh, but they really, really, against a, a better, more talented group, uh, really showed themselves well against Michigan. I thought Slade was the, the standout performer there. Um, on the offensive end, yeah, they, they definitely were better. Um, I think that I would describe that as sort of a baseline expectation performance Mm. against a quality front. Like there's pros on that front. Aiden Hutchinson, we like to make fun of the fact that they wanted to compare him to the the Bosa brothers for some reason. He's still a good player. He's not a Bosa. He's still a talented player. Carlo Kemp is a good player. Quidi Pei is a really good player. There are some really good players on that front. So just to sort of, be able to hang around, hold your mm-hmm. own. Uh, there's, you know, a third and three rush, able to get a push to the the line to gain, which is another play I put in, in the film room. Able to open up a couple holes here. Jordan Simmons busts a long one, a couple six, seven, eight yard gains, right? They, they didn't blow anyone away, but they I think it was like 140 yards they went for. And it wasn't you know, explosive or particularly efficient, but it was enough. It got them by and the game plan wasn't to do that. Obviously the game plan was to air it out a little bit more than we're used to. <laughs> uh, and so I was just impressed with them to, for them to be able to rebound. And after a week after just getting their butts kicked yeah. by a gimmick, you know, the, the cocked nose, right. a six foot two, 250 pound defensive tackle ruining your offense. <laughs> Like to be able to rebound from that play against a bunch of guys who are going to be playing on Sundays and, and do a decent job, get have a B minus, a C plus, I thought was a nice development and a nice step in the right direction for that group. Absolutely. Do you, I mean, uh, sort of relatedly, you know, Matt Allen didn't, I don't believe, saw a snap. Samak looked good. Yeah. I mean, do you think he, that's enough to earn himself a starting spot? So uh, Allen was, I believe, hurt. We, we're not getting okay. a lot of injury things, but he was in a sweatsuit. And then I did see him after the game in a picture with the offensive line, and still in a sweatsuit. Um, I don't know how much that factored into it. They were probably a wash in week one between Samak and Allen. Um, 
not in a good way. It was a bad wash. It was like <laughs> yeah. a, a wash filled with dirt and grime, and it just wasn't great. I thought last year. Oh, sorry. Is that not how you guys is that not how you guys wash <laughs> dirt and grime rubbed in there? It's an 1800s going out back to the creek wash. That's right. Um, but last year I thought they were pretty negligible too. I thought the the youth and promise of Samac, the development, okay, he can beat this, was reason enough to go with him to start the season. But I understand why, you know, taking over a new program, you have a fifth year senior. Uh, they didn't do captains, but if they did, he probably would have been a captain, a captain type. The Allen brothers, we know what that name has meant to Michigan State football over the last eight years. So I understand why you would go with Matt Allen. Uh, but if it was me, and this isn't hindsight, I would have gone with Samak from the jump because he's younger and because I feel like I know I can get more out of him. He's a talented kid. Uh, he had that great block on the screen. The I broke down the Simmons 22-yard run, 28-yard run, or whatever it was. Uh, that was pretty much all Samak making a, an impossible block. Like He slid around a guy who was hitting him and like scooted his butt around him somehow athletically while hitting yeah. the defensive lineman out of the hole. Like It was like, oh, okay. Uh, he can move. He can get out in space, certainly. And he's getting bigger, and he's getting stronger. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what they're going to do. It's, it's been tough to sort of get a read on how they handle snaps. But if it was me, I'm, I'm going with Samek moving forward uh, just because I think he's going to continue to get better like he has since he stepped on foot. I mean, the kid played as a true freshman. Yeah, it was an ugly offensive line situation, but you're, you don't get to play offensive line as a true freshman in the Big Ten unless you're pretty good. Right, sure. Um, before we get to our official question for the segment, we're kind of curious <clears throat> – if you could share a bit how you watch football games, so yeah. that, you know, maybe, maybe listeners could sort of take what you're seeing. And, and so does that, what do you look for? Are you following the ball, watching position groups? Uh, and how do you identify trends over the course of a game? Sure. Um, so with Michigan state, I am a sucker fan deep down and I can't help it. <laughs> I just, I just watch yeah. the game. I just, I, I, I get, I catch myself watching the ball, being silly, uh, being a fan, getting into it, firing off tweets. Like honestly, Michigan State football games are incredibly important for my actual job because of the engagement and the people it brings in. Yeah. So like, I, I do kind of lock in and, and have fun with it for that. Say I'm watching just a random game or whatever. Uh, I, I like to have a soft focus on the defensive line. Uh, I think you can tell a lot about what is happening just by kind of starting with the trenches. You can see, you know, you look for, uh, is this just a straight rush? Is the defensive line uh, getting any penetration? Is the offensive line able to sort of carve out creases and do that? And then you can also get the linebackers coming up. How are their run fits? Uh, how often are they blitzing, right? These are the sort of things you can pick up. Uh, just you know, soft focus on the defensive line and kind of watch the battle in the trenches. Really taking your eye off the ball. I think that's the name of a book by I think it's Pat Kerwin, a longtime NFL scout. Like it's an actual like if you want to watch football and sort of see the games within the games, stop watching the football is the easiest way to say it. Watch you know pick uh, if it looks like a, a team's running well inside. Maybe watch the Garden Center for a couple of plays in a series. Uh, I like to do that too. I like to pick spots. Oh, I know 
I'm watching this NFL game and I've got whatever Von Miller's on the edge and he's playing an all pro type left tackle. I'm going to watch them for a little while. And then my big thing that I love, I, I really like evaluating watching quarterbacks. Um, and so I will watch quarterback play looking for pocket movement is a huge one. You can tell a lot about a quarterback um, by how they handle a pocket mm-hmm. and something as simple as uh, like Joe Milton bails out of the back of the pockets a lot for Michigan. Like, and he was doing that a, a ton and that is a, a surefire sign of something like inexperienced uh, nerves. You can tell a lot by how a guy moves within pressure, moves around pressure, where his eyes go after pressure. You, you always want to see someone like stepping into pressure through pressure with their eyes up still trying to be a quarterback and deliver the ball downfield. Like that is like supreme level quarterback play does that. So I'm always watching that, trying to see guys' mechanics. Uh, I'll do that a little bit with Rocky. I like to watch Rocky's feet because Rocky's feet can be a mess sometimes. Yeah. I know I just threw a lot there at you, but I would just say generally as a rule of thumb, if you want to watch football and kind of try to see how things are actually happening, definitely take your eye off the ball, start with the offensive and defensive line and watch that and go from there. Uh, and then you can kind of see things like, oh, wow, it's third and long, they blitz. Next third and long, they showed the same blitz, but they backed out. Next third and long, they showed it again. One guy came, the other guy backed. So you can sort of see the games that they're playing uh, with the quarterback, with the offense. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I just take notes during the game, and it just comes a, a manic scribble. And when I go back and look <laughs> at it, it's just like... Yeah. It's just, I, I can't read it. It's just icons, demonic text. It's <laughs> with, with MSU games. I will go back to start. I rewatch them multiple times uh, because I chart and then I, I watch spe- for specific things, specific plays. So I'll watch a play six, seven times before I move on. Wow. Uh, when I go back, I'll be like, I have no idea what happened in this game. I know, <laughs> I know the final score. I've got three highlight plays in my head. I have no idea what else happened. And so that sort of actually helps because I I don't have any biases going into it. I'm like, oh, wow. Like the Rutgers game, I just kept noticing Blake Buter, Matt Allen, Matt Carrick. The middle three for MSU just kept losing. And so and that was just a trend. And so my my writing for the film room focused in around that. Same with Jacob Slade. I had no idea Jacob Slade was as effective as he was. I went back. I'm like, Jacob Slade is just killing Michigan. And so he became a big prominent piece uh, of what I did in the film room. So I do a lot of, for MSU, a lot of my (laughs) figuring out what happened uh, happens after the fact when I'm watching the plays multiple times. And how much do you have to hate yourself to watch that Rutgers loss more than once, let alone multiple times? (laughs) Probably a lot. Um, I'm, I don't know. It's not for everyone, I guess. It, it, once I know the result, I'm fine with it. I I guess it's just like, it, it does get frustrating Last year was really frustrating because the same stuff kept happening. So like yeah. one week you're like, oh, okay, I see this. You, you sort of take an optimistic tone with it. Like, oh, if they just do this. And then three weeks later, it does. it's the same thing. And you, you, you're not saying, oh, if they just do this, it's like, why the hell are they still doing that? Yeah. So it, it sort of depends when the season is, how the season's going. But right. I actually enjoyed going back and watching the Rutgers game because – you find some things that are like, oh, that was actually pretty good. Rocky did that pretty well. Oh, the defensive line looked pretty good. You know, stuff like that. So I don't, I just get such an enjoyment out of it. It's like a treasure hunt for me, like trying to find what happened, what's going on, what's working. Why did this play work? Why didn't it work? That it doesn't 
I don't know. I, I, the emotion is gone, right? That's usually Sunday right. night. So I've yeah. recovered from what has ever, whatever happened <laughs> on, on Saturday. You've, uh, you've got all Sunday morning and afternoon to recover. Yes. Um, and then, and then you can actually get back to work. So speaking of fan bases, wondering why this is happening, why that isn't happening. The question that brought us all here, uh, what is the wildcat formation and why might a team run it? Yes. And why would you take Joe Milton off the field to run it? <laughs> and in that situation too, it's unreal. Oh yeah. So yeah. So the wildcat is essentially a formation where anyone but the quarterback is getting a snap. And a lot of times you'll see a quarterback just kind of leave the field for it. Uh, it's been around for like 20 years. It really got popular in like 2006 with the Miami Dolphins mm-hmm. um, with, I think it was Ronnie Brown running it for them. Uh, and that was the first time the NFL had really done it. But in the college game, Kansas State did it a ton. Uh, and I think it's named after them because they're the Wildcats. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the you know, the Wildcat formation comes back. And it's essentially you, you snap a direct snap to a running back. Uh, or I guess a receiver too, um, which Colorado, Jay Johnson uh, did at Colorado a lot last year, would snap to LaVisca Chanel, who's a receiver, but basically a running back. But you snap it to a running back, uh, and then you just kind of run normal plays. It's a little old school, um, pre-forward pass style football. <laughs> right. And the purpose of it is basically math. Uh, you, you want to, anytime you're trying to run the ball in football, and this is another thing to look out for. Actually, I'm glad this got uh, brought up. Anytime you want to run the football, you're basically trying to outnumber the opponent, mm-hmm. whether that's a zone, any any type of run power. You want to get angles on your opponent, and you want to have more people where where the ball is going to run, or at least you know four blockers for four defenders type thing. You want to hat on a hat. That. Hat on a hat. Perfect. So the wildcat. Cat essentially turns your quarterback into a more competent runner and in theory gives one hat for each hat on the defensive end. And if you block it right, uh, it should work every single time. The problem is, yeah, the problem is Wildcats became predictable because you'd throw out of them 3% of the time and they're like, yeah, we're just going to bring everyone into the box and you're going to not be able to run because it's going to be a traffic jam. So. Yeah, it's a it's a direct snap to the running back or receiver formation, and it's used to try and shift the math into the offensive foot offense's favor when they're trying to run the ball. Well, Will, thank you so much for joining us, uh, educating us, and uh, you know uh, we're obviously fans of what you're doing over at SpartansWill.substack.com. But uh, tell the folks a little bit about. What they can expect out of you for the rest of the season, uh, you know, uh, I, I know you have some free posts up if people want to check it mm-hmm. out. There's a chance at a seven-day free trial, um, but uh, let the people know what's going on. Yep, so spartanswill.substack.com, uh, 1L and Will, again. Uh, uh-huh. And like you mentioned, there's some free posts up there as well, but most of the stuff now will be premium moving forward. I think in a couple of weeks, I'll unlock a couple of things. And what I do is really long, in-depth coverage of Michigan State. Every week uh, on Monday, I will have a film room breakdown, go through with GIFs and show you specific plays that sort of shape the game, kind of the the game trends. So against Rutgers, it was a lot of failure to block the interior, (laughs) a lot of stuff like that. And against Michigan, 
Uh, I did a lot of um, Jacob Slade, like I mentioned, some Antoine Simmons, some Rocky Lombardi throws. And it's just trying to take a deeper look at what went wrong. Why is this happening? Can it be fixed? Can it be improved on? And then, you know, you just sort of see it trend throughout the year and like, oh, remember this from week two? Yeah, they're running it now this way and it, and it works better. So that's the one thing. Film room, I do that. I also chart every single offensive snap for Michigan State and that's formation, personnel, down and distance, play type, uh, play concept, yards gained, yards after contact for the ball carrier, targets, drops, yards after the catch, um, pressure, pressure, sacks, hits, accuracy for the quarterback. There's a bunch of different things. Uh, and so you can learn a lot about that. Like, for example, after week one against Rutgers, I found that uh, MSU only ran play action passes uh, on first down four times, and they were incredibly efficient and explosive with those four plays. I surmised that they could probably do that more and be better. And wouldn't you know it, they did. Wouldn't um, you know it. So, yeah, and that's certainly not me taking credit for it. I'm sure any anything I have, they have. Oh, I'm sure Jay Red. Jay <laughs> anything, Red. Anything I have, Jay Johnson has at his disposal. I'm sure they No, no, no. Jay Johnson lost to Rutgers. He went to spartanswill.substack.com. <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, you know, we're averaging three. Uh, or I think they ran the ball 16 times for nine total yards on first down against Rutgers and had four play action passes that gained like 80 yards or something like that. It's like, <laughs> you should do that one more. Um, so I do that. And then I'll try to mix in some preview stuff as well. Same sort of stuff in depth, a lot of like under the surface, beyond the box score type coverage. And that's what I do for football. And then basketball is kind of the same minus the film roomy stuff. I'm trying to get better. I don't know basketball as much as I know football. Uh, but I will have a ton of basketball stats, lineup data, shot charts, uh, shot location data, uh, shot type data, like all sorts of stuff, efficiency numbers, just a ton of information. So you can basically go there. The point is to, to provide a space where a Michigan State fan can go, can really learn about their team beyond sort of narrative stuff. Like I appreciate narrative stuff. It, it matters and it's really great. It's a good way to connect. But I like to go beyond that and it's like, hey, if you want to actually learn a ton about this team, what they're doing, how they play, what they're trying to accomplish, come here. So that's what it is, basically. Spartansville.substack.com. It's $30 for a year and $5 a month. I'm not happy about it being $5 a month. I want it to be cheaper, but those are the minimums on Substack. So hopefully, if you like it, $30 a year equals out to $2.50 a month, so it's not too bad. Uh, it's and a yeah, steal. Everyone, thank you. Everyone who signs up gets a free week trial regardless. So go there, sign up, check it out for a week. If you like it, stick with it. If not, cancel and you won't get charged a thing. Yeah, uh, it's great. I, I can't co-sign enough. Uh, you know, I remember last year, Mark D'Antonio talking about inside zone, outside zone, and every single beat reporter would just transcribe his comments and none of them fully understood what it was. You had to go to Will Hunter to get a solid explanation. So um we're fans over here, and and uh, Will, go green. Thanks, guys. Go white. All right, and that was Will Hunter. Thank you, Will, for joining us. Gentlemen, let's head to Twitter questions. Uh, let's start. I, I invited comments as much as questions this week because I figured, uh, you know, people might just have some things to say. Get it off their chest, you know? Yeah. yeah. As well and, as well. Um, well, our friends 
uh, at at uh, a Rutgers podcast called Are You Screw Podcast, um, who are you know they're fun, they're good guys. Uh, gave us a, our our first response, which was, "Turns out you guys don't have a horrible team when you don't fumble every play." We should have led with that during the game. <laughs> touche, touche, gents. Uh, next up is CT and TC who says first congrats on the wind on the win. No snarky questions for me. I hope you guys enjoy this. Unable to contain himself. He continues. Okay, fine. Just one who gave the replay official COVID plum. What do we think of this inevitable, inevitable response? I had a meeting. I have a an alibi. I I don't have COVID. I don't have vials of it in my house that I can just give to people willy nilly if that's what he's suggesting. Um, so I want to just be very clear. My alibi is tight. It wasn't me. But the second thing is this: um, the 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 re- this whole this whole the shenanigans around blaming the referees. And I'll say, in my family at least, it started very very early in the in the game. If your whole go-to was it was it tied to Joel Klatt complaining? Because I bet you it was. Well, it might as well have been. You know, the the point is, if if that's where your default is, if it's to blame the officials, then you, you've already made your own case because it's never the referees. It's just never the referees. The referees are going to blow calls. They blew calls against us. They blew calls against Michigan. And even if the replay official had gotten that one right, then we would be complaining that the referees hadn't called the defensive pass interference that happened on the exact play. So you tell me, it's six to one, half dozen to another. Move on, CT and TC. This isn't your best line of argument. Greg, you got anything? Uh, are we talking about the the Jalen Reed reception? Yeah, where it wasn't clear if he had control of the ball when he landed. That's the one. He did. It doesn't matter. Move on. Yes, he did. Can't prove otherwise because there was yep. no replay. Next up is Nate C. <laughs> How many more seasons will Harbaugh coach Michigan? I pointed out this is his last year on contract. Correct. I'm going to go three. I'm still going to go with at least three more. Plum, what do you think? Oh, I, I, you know, I, I pulled my brother and my father about this after the game. And my father said, infinity, the man is a robot and will never die. And so he will stay there as long as Abraham Lincoln, I'm sorry, Lloyd Carr stayed there, which is too long and it won't matter. Very good. Uh, next question is from Nate C. How many turnovers can we afford against any team? Uh, any given team before we will automatically lose is it nine or less and i i would just i would just spin this to say if rutgers is indeed the floor and you count the turnovers on downs in the same category as other turnovers then the number is actually nine but i i think it's better to say that you know mel tucker went for it on a fourth down and some of those turnovers just you know it just didn't happen but i think seven's the number like Rutger is the floor, right? So if seven is the floor for both, you know, does that make sense? What I'm suggesting? It does. Uh, I still find it hard to believe that we could win with six, but uh, sure. I get what you're saying. I'm going to go with four for the purposes of this answer. You might still pull it off with four turnovers. Plum. Uh, maybe three, three. I'm going to say three. I'm going to take the under. Next question. What two Halloween costumes should I combine to look like a team that lost to Rutgers but beat U of M? Uh, Plum, what do you got? Ooh, that is a really, really, really good question. 
Um, hmm. I'm thinking, um, I don't know why my head is going to this. Uh, probably Eric Trump uh, selling hot dogs as a hot dog vendor uh, in Times Square, but selling a hot dog to Joe Biden, who offers him a spot on the transition team, thereby redeeming him and giving him a future with hope. Yeah. <laughs> That's take exactly that what one. I was going to say. <laughs> I had to take a walk for that one, but definitely paid off. Greg, what do you got? No, I, there's no beating that. Uh, that's, that's my answer as well. Okay. All right. Uh, next up verbose Dutch true or false. This is the most exciting MSU win since the Duke elite eight game. Oh, that's a great, you know, last most exciting game, isn't it? Uh, nothing comes immediately to mind. So you have to take the true one. You got to take the true on this one. This is definitely the most exciting Michigan state win since that game. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if the question is since then, yes, sure, that's it. I, I mean, that's it. Cause there's a handful of what not exciting wins on football last year. And then you look back at the basketball season and there were some great wins. Yeah. I, maybe that Illinois game where Cassius missed the layup and Tillman came down with a dunk. You guys know what I'm talking about? I there? do. Yeah, I, I know. I'm just this is, I mean, playing back of, all of the basketball wins. And last my season. blood pressure differential. This is it. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, though, that was a game that that Illinois game. And I, it's the first one that comes to mind. It was sort of like, you know, akin to the Duke one in that it was a, a, a bit of a nail biter. But unlike Duke, Illinois shouldn't have been that much of a nail biter. And this game. It you, I don't think we really said this anywhere before, but he, there was never a doubt as to who the better team was in this game. Like it, right. as much as we were surprised by that, mm-hmm. you you can complain about say the officiating, but you can't tell me that U of M looked like the better team. Yeah, the better team won this game. Yes, in the same way that the better team won against Duke. So and and so this I say true to this doubly. Because it it's, feels great to be the better team. Next up from Anthony Garver. Let's hear your best transitive property analysis after this win. Is Rutgers better than Michigan, Jonesy? Oh, I'm going to pass to Plum because I think he has the most math between us. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do the let's do the numbers on this one. Uh, Rutgers beat us. But we beat Michigan. So Rutgers should beat Michigan. But, but Indiana just beat Rutgers. And when was the last time Indiana beat Michigan? I don't know the answer to that. That's a legitimate question. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. They've gotten close. Well, Assume never. It might, they, it'll be, it might be this year. So took them to overtime last year, I believe. Oh, well, then. So there you go. So is Rutgers better than Michigan? Well, Rutgers might be, but Butgers isn't. And I think the question is, who's going to show up? Are they playing? Actually, are they actually playing this year? Do they actually see each other? Yeah, yeah. everyone plays this year. Oh, yeah, everyone in the east. Oh, in the east. That's right. So, I mean, when Rutgers beats Michigan, um, the answer will be yes. And, and then we'll know. And then we'll know. <laughs> but for right now, we can say with confidence, yes, that that Butgers is better 
than Michigan as of today. Muck Michigan. And that is that is the transitive property at work. Uh, next up from Anthony Garvert, prop bet for next week, <laughs> which I, he's this is a bit he's doing with other people too, and I enjoy it. Uh, the prop bets, but number of poops from Vinny, which is Anthony's newborn son, during the game versus TDs from Ricky White. I think uh, you should take this one, Jonesy, because I, I don't know reasonably what to expect from a newborn. I, I know that right. they're productive. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go ahead and assume that uh, that Vinny must cons- be consistent on time. And so I'm going to put him at like over under on one and a half during the game. Uh, Let's round up to two I, just to be conservative. Well, no. So I think the point is, is that Ricky White is also over under one and a half. And so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take Ricky White on this one because here's the thing. Are you going to, are you going to put your best corner on Ricky White or are you going to put your best corner on Jaden Reed? And I think you put it on Reed every time. So that's Ricky all day, all day long. Uh, Next question from Anthony Garvert. Greg, this team has the most speed at wide receiver since. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm going to put it at Big Ten Championship season or Big Ten Championship game one that that year against Wisconsin. There Ugh. were some fast wide receivers on that team. Um, that's going to be my answer. It's been a minute. Uh, you know, it's been a minute. Wow. You got Naylor and White and Reed isn't slow. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, could be. All right. Lastly, what is more questionable? <laughs> Garvard's parenting skills, according to Jonesy, or <laughs> Don Brown's usage, not of his visor, but of his secondary. Jones? <laughs> uh, I actually, I don't recall what I chastised Anthony about. Uh but I can't imagine that it was as severe as the sort of trolling that I've gotten from Anthony for this. Uh, my push notifications indicate that I will never hear the end of it. But uh, second, hot take. I don't think that Don. it was Don Brown's fault. I think some of it was just genuinely being outcoached, but I think as much as U of M fans don't want to hear this, I think our receivers are simply better than their secondary. I just, yeah. I think our dudes were better than their guys and they made a choice to shut down Reed, but we are too much of a threat across the board to shut it all down. And as Rocky said in his post game interview, we've got some dudes and he knew that after the Rutgers game, hmm. uh, next up from Zeej. first time, I think, is this first time Zeej, Welcome be. to the show. Um, what are the most satis- three most satisfying wins for MSU over U of M? And is this one of them plum? He's got trouble with a snap. That, that, that has to be number one for me. That, that will probably yeah. always be number one for me. Um, mostly because it's probably the most iconic moment in college football sports history for being fair. Um, so it, it, it's one of them generally. Yeah. Generally. Uh, I'm trying to think, did we beat Michigan at all while we were, while we were there? 
Uh, no, I don't think nope. we did. Not in football, John which is L. why uh, you know, for... that that was going to be my offer to this. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, while I was there, we did 2008 uh, season because you know you take a. Uh, I was in the piece. Uh, <laughs> that's one for me. Getting that monkey off the back. There it is. And then 2013 is another one that I would propose. That was the negative 48 yards rushing game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that game. That's one of my all-time favorite games. But I would say this is this is one of them for me. Yeah, I, I think it's unexpectedness, right? That that that's what makes this one so sweet. Yes. And and I think you can also point to and be like, this was a coaching. This was a people talk too often about program wins, mm-hmm. but this was actually a program. This was sort of a, a era win, if yes. you will. Yes, that's right. Yep, you got to give Mel Tucker a little bit of credit here because it. It was big for him. It sets him up in a way that, um, well, maybe puts a lot of expectation on his shoulders, but I don't think undeserved expectation. I also feel like we got to know Mel Tucker. Like, you know, there was a point very early on where we were having some success on offense that I said to myself, all right, even if we don't win this game, I'm really happy with what I'm seeing right now. And then we won. (laughs) But like now I now I feel like I, I I finally have an understanding of what Mel's going to do. And I like it. I'm into it. It's exciting. Uh let's head to Fish for MSU. Who I think this is a heartfelt question. This is a tough question, but it one worth sharing as we try and remember the very serious times we're in. Uh she asks, Who's the first person you think of after MSU defeats the team down the road? She says, I immediately think of my brother Rick. I usually called him as he lived in Florida. Uh, for those who don't know uh, Fish for MSU, she lost her brother earlier this year to COVID, um, and she follows up that this win is the best thing to happen this year. And I think for a lot of us Spartans, we might agree that this indeed was the best thing to happen this year. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think this is one to take all in stride, because I took this question immediately as, who do I immediately want to jump on uh, when I when we beat them? But I think in reality, I think of you guys uh, or my dad or folks generally, like I think of those closest to me to share in this, but uh, Plum, who do you think of first? Yeah, I think in terms of celebration and just general complaining about things I don't understand, it's you two. And then uh, uh, to really rub their noses in it, it's my brother and my dad. But, but to her point, you know, I think it's a really beautiful sentiment and it is, it's, it's the people you love the most. That's the folks that you want to share these kind of things with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Fish, thank you for for sharing this. I, I appreciate it. Um, it's a peer group. It's a peer group for me as well. Yeah. Um, hmm. So um, let's move to Raymond Chains. Uh, is Harbaugh good at motivating his troops? This is actually a good question. I like this. Uh, is Harbaugh good at motivating his troops? What are his strengths and weaknesses as a coach? Um, we've mentioned these one and six at home against Michigan and Michigan state and Ohio state and 29 and oh against everybody else. Greg, I'll turn to you first. Do you think he's good at the motivation piece, the team, the team, the team, and what are his strengths and weaknesses as a coach? I think, and, and this is something, you know, we've, we've criticized him on this uh, podcast, but we ask for this of, of Mel Tucker. Uh, I think he's good at beating up on bad teams and he generally wins the team games that he's supposed to. Um, but he very rarely elevates his team. He very rarely, yeah, I mean, what's his record against top 10 opponents. It's like two wins and 15 losses or something like that. I think it's just tears. Tears. It's is just record. Awful. It's just truly awful. Um, 
And he, uh, I mean, I, I think he is good at generally taking care of business. And I think he's bad at everything else. You know, this so is, you got to say that he's probably pretty mediocre at motivating his team. Yeah. Um, I think that's right. Um, I, I was going to ask, you know, this came to me when we were watching the game was what effect playing at the big house has on, on teams. You know, it, it is a formidable environment. It is uh, an environment where you've got 125,000 people crammed in there, nut to butt, just going crazy. Um, is that, is that the kind the kind of place, you know, where you're going to be able to keep your metal, you're going to be able to keep your resolve. And so, um, I don't know. I think I, I, my, my, my kind of own inclination was this, it, it, it certainly did them no favors, not playing to have anyone at their, sort of not having that, that 12th man at their back, um, against us, uh, on Saturday. But I wonder if that speaks to some of that advantage they have, you know, that, that he's had 29 and oh, to your point, Greg, because it certainly isn't on his raw coaching talent alone. Yeah. Um, next up from Raymond chains without getting into exact numbers, what's the ballpark figure for how much individual podcast sponsorships bring in? I'd first ask Raymond, are you looking to get in on the biz? Cause we're happy to sponsor whatever you want. Whatever yeah, you want. Rude. Raymond, listen, rude Raymond. Raymond. I mean, my God, brother, when you figure out, let me know because I'm writing my ass off here and not a sponsors. And I swear to God, Don Brown still hasn't paid up and I don't know when he will. Yeah. Those not a sponsors pay almost as well as the real sponsors. <laughs> yeah. The, and that is, that is the <laughs> truth of the matter. There's a reason we all have day jobs. Uh, <laughs> you're here. So, uh, next up from Raymond this week on the D'Antonio show, U of M's, <laughs> U of M's desperate AD calls coach D'Antonio asking him if he wants a job in exchange for 10 million a year in a private Island. The coach feels temptation or Hondo finds himself in hot water with loan sharks and turns to D'Antonio for help. Oh, Hondo things didn't go well for him in Vegas, huh? He got in a little over his head out there in the, in the sin city. That's our Hondo. That's our Hondo. I, like I want to see that plot. I like to think that D'Antonio would take that gig and take all the heat that it would cause him and then just tank that program even farther than it is. Yeah. Yeah. And just like First out of spite. Jim Bowman for, for yeah. five mil a year. Yeah. Oh, coordinator. Yeah. Speed in no space. Yep. Uh, I, uh, I think he would, I think he'd be like, I'll be the villain temporarily for the payoff. Yeah. Well, I can't wait for Ward Manuel to call him. And when D'Antoni asks him, where's the private Island? He tells him it's Zug Island in the Detroit river. That, that for me is all Michigan sports up and down. <laughs> all right. Next up. Speaking of Michigan sports is Nick Kamansky. Congrats on the win. Greckers appears to be a super forecaster. What is his current prediction for the presidential election? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, <clears throat> yeah, of course. Uh, so I will say with total and complete confidence. Say it. That Joe Biden is going to win. That's my boy. All right. A couple beats here. Yeah, Nick, I agree with you. I will say with total and complete confidence that Trump is going to pull this thing off on Tuesday. He's going you know to win what? the election. I don't need you ever putting this out into the universe. I don't like you, and we're not friends anymore. 
Then I, I get to control the, uh, yeah, I get to control the edit. So uh, I'm just going to choose whichever one is right. It's going out on Tuesday, man. Next I hope you keep keep them in there. Keep both of them in there, please. This is yes, we're, we're going to keep both of them in there. Uh, next up from Nick Kamansky. Again, congrats on the big win. What is your celeb- What in your celebratory revelry did you first when? think? When in your celebratory when? When I can't read, nor can I write. Uh, I can't wait to troll Nick. Be honeys now. That was an auto. No, I might not have been. I think he was asking you to be on, but I'm a honey. He wants us to be honeys. Plum, what did you do in your celebratory revelry? Oh, listen, I put a pair of um, uh, uh, felt bat wings on my dog and danced her around the living room of my friend's home as I made a walking taco out of a bag of Doritos. And sated myself on um, on some uh, some beer. So that's uh, that's what I did. Yeah. Um, I never I never thought of trolling Nick. You immediately went to that though, Greg. Right? Uh, not immediate. There was some time. I think it was when these questions started showing up, or there was some other Twitter yeah, notification from Nick. Yeah, Nick reaching out does sort of give the permission structure because generally speaking. I know how I would feel after a game and uh and I just wouldn't be online. <laughs> yep. Take uh next up from Nick Kamansky. Now that Coach Mel Tucker has proven he can win the big game, will he sell out to earn seven million a year as Michigan's head coach All right, hold next on, year? Hold on one second. Is it frankly at this point, can we even call the Michigan game the big game? I mean, Michigan has sort of debased themselves to the point where I'm not sure this game matters anymore to Michigan State. That's a touche. But valid invalid premise. Invalid premise. Reject the premise of the question. But B. Mel Tucker's not going anywhere other than the contract he signed. We've already dumped. We've already backed up one dump truck full of cash to his home. I know that Bill Beekman will do the same again for as long as he takes, whether he wins like this or he wins elsewhere uh, against uh, uh, other opponents. It, it, it remains to be seen, but, but Mel Tucker in my mind is going nowhere anytime soon. Well said. And lastly from Nick Kamansky, what do I do now as a Michigan fan? My entire self-worth is based upon my football team and their success on the gridiron. How should I cope? What's left for me? <laughs> well, Nick, I've heard from Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson, and they're starting a support group. God, help they us. feel your pain. It's down at the local Y. It's in the basement. God. Third door on the right. Joel Klatt's mom is making soup. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is the upper deck jerk guy. Uh, Greg, the Spartans are going to go undefeated right now, right? That's right. Boom! Undefeated! Actually, uh, I kind of think there's like a 50-50 shot of beating Iowa. I'm taking this one game at a time over Deck Jerk Guy. Believe in the process. Yeah. Uh, next up uh, from Upper Deck Jerk Guy, where does Rocky rank in the list of best Spartan QBs two games into his sort of real Spartan starter status? Plum, I mean, uh, where are we at? If hairstyle is anything, it's pretty high up there. Um, yeah. I can't remember if, if you've watched, you know, the old um, Christmas movies, you know, the ones I'm talking about where you've mm-hmm. got the claymation and um, sure, sure, sure. You know, what, what is what's the, what's the little uh, the little elf's name when they have um, uh, Rudolph the Red Nose? Gus Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I'm talking about, though, the little elf with the like he wants to be a dentist, Who wants to be um, a dentist. Yes, that's the haircut. My father pointed Quintus? this out. My father pointed this out. 
And in it absolutely is that. That's the haircut. And so by that metric, number one, there is no question. By that metric, number one. Um, Hermie the Elf Hermie. Is, uh, oh. is the answer. Very good. Yeah. Has there been such a generational leap in hair from one year to the next, like the Lewerke hair to the Rocky Lombardi hair? Oh, no. Brian Lewerke. Oh, swoon. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of potential there, and the hair was not good. Yeah. Greg. I actually, Lewerke had some good hair. Anyway, uh, no. Greg, what is the, what's the I best U of M Ann Arbor excuse you've heard? Uh, I mean, probably officiating or do we want it, one that is actually a good it, excuse? This is uh, what's the best you've ever heard. And it could be best in either that it's the worst or actually a good excuse it, though. We're not, no, no good excuses here. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know the crest on the field. Uh, isn't that is that a real excuse that they've had before? I've I've heard a, that rain only on one side of the field. Yeah, or a crest <laughs> yeah. or or something like that. Those are the best. Um, yeah, like 2017, there were a lot of weather excuses. Like it only ever rained when Michigan had the ball. Actually, like, shut up. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, next up, Taylor Anderson. Oh, I think it was. Uh, everyone knows that Australians are incompetent. Um, mm. next up, Taylor Anderson. I'd be mad at Greg for being right. If I wasn't so thrilled, he was well said. I got you. Well said. I got you, Taylor Anderson. Yeah. Next up from Taylor Anderson, new merch idea. Grooch was right. Believe the Grooch. Listen, I do have I, a, I do have a believe the Grooch t-shirt, but I was nearly arrested for wearing it at a Kroger. So I don't know what it is about the word Grooch, but it is deeply offensive to folks. Wait, can we also say, um, Joel Klatt said Gooch several times on the broadcast. Did he? <laughs> yes, he kept saying the Gooch. God. I mean, and I was like, that's not a word I would be You keep saying that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> it's like, at least, at least what's his face? Matt Millen saying cocked. Like, I'm like, all right. I mean, I wouldn't use that word, but I get it. We need to get these guys into a studio together because between the two of them, they might make their heads <laughs> explode. And that could be really worth it. Uh, next up, Sarah Ruland. Greg, now that you know how to write a haiku, will you please write one in response to the game against Michigan? Thank you and blessings. Oh, that's so kind, Sarah Ruland. Thank you. Um, I do. I have an, a haiku. Do we have any bongo drums or anything? That's not how haikus work. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Maze plus blue made brown all over the idiot fan base. But they love it, though. <laughs> Blum, you have a limerick. What's, your, what's the limerick? There once was a QB Lombardi who in uniform gave me a hearty. <laughs> and on Michigan game days, all his passes were big plays such that Jim Harbaugh's pants all went shardy. Shardy. <laughs> I love the oh. themes that we've got. <laughs> Mama Maple Leaf is up next. First question is Smith Marset's college career over. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. For those who don't know, uh, Mama Maple Leaf is talking, of course, about the very talented wide receiver from Iowa that we discussed earlier, who was suspended uh, yeah. or rather we don't know if he was suspended, but was arrested for going 70 and a 35 and, operating a vehicle while intoxicated. 
You can't drive that. I'm going to go 50 50 on this. I, I'm going to bet it's not over. Yeah. It might be over at Iowa, but I'm betting it's not over overall. Yeah. I bet you it's over at Power Five. Yeah. Could be. It's very fast. Uh, and if it's not, it should be. Um, per the NCAA, any game unable to be played because of COVID 19 will be considered a no contest. Now, with almost 40 games canceled, will history regard the sports experiment as quote unquote no contest? Mm. Plum, got to go to you for this yeah, one. Yeah, I love how that's worded. Mama Maple Leaf, expertly phrased. Um, mm-hmm. I think history will be a little more damning of this college sports uh, experiment than just no contest. Uh, no contest seems to be a technical excuse, a sort of way of washing our hands and sort of saying, well, you know, it is what it is. The rule said this and that. Um, this was an intentional decision that we elected into. Um, and, uh, and in Wisconsin and Minnesota, where we're seeing the rates that we're seeing um, and knowing that the playing of the sports, uh, as has happened, is at least partly responsible for the spread of this illness. Uh, I think requires the um, assignment of blame and there requires the assignment of complicity to this. So I think that that grades this a little higher than just no contest. I think I, I, I honestly don't do not think that history will be kind um, to us. And I and I know that having lived it and having watched uh, sports and been a uh, uh, an eager um uh, consumer of the of of most recently our game against Michigan on Saturday. Um, I don't know how we will reconcile that with what I do believe history will look back and go, you knew everything you needed to know and you still didn't get it right. I think it's worth mentioning, which we didn't discuss is that, you know, Wisconsin obviously out with COVID, but Illinois was down to their like fourth string quarterback who Wisconsin had played the week earlier. Hmm. You know, I mean, yep. Is that surprising? Yep. Yeah. So, uh, last question from mama maple leaf and well said plum, by the way, I didn't mean to undercut you. That was well said, um, a review regarding voter turnout among college students of top of this of 76 top U S colleges reveals MSU ranked 41st and received a B grade because student voter turnout was only between 41 and 48%. Did you exercise your right to vote while at MSU? Why or why not? Plum, I think you and I had a professor who encouraged people to not vote. Curtis Stokes, as I yes. recall, David Yamanishi sat in the front of the lecture hall in Madison MC201, the uh, James Madison College Introductory Political Theory course. Uh, he spoke on behalf of the um, Kerry campaign. Uh, the late uh, and great, well, you liked this guy. You had him for your 201 course, as I recall, Jones. What was his name? Uh, Hoekstra. Yes. Uh, yep. Professor Hoekstra uh, sat and spoke on behalf of the uh, the winning side, the Bush campaign, and Curtis Stokes spoke on behalf of all those who elected not to vote, who elected to uh, put forth their right into the franchise by not voting. It should be noted that that's not what he. What? Yes. No. Right. Well, but like, college students not voting is not the same thing as I'm a communist and I choose not to vote. That's which very is what true. His position yes, was. that's very very true, and uh, it should be noted that. Well, it should be noted many things about Curtis Stokes, not least of which is that the man himself is uh, 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 not uh, not the most woke individual, uh, very transphobic individual, homophobic individual. So leaves a lot to be desired. The college's veneration of Curtis Stokes, I think, is one uh, black eye in uh, in a series of poor decision makings of the administration. But that's neither here nor there. The truth remains. Um, I did elect to vote. In fact, that's how I came out to my parents my freshman year when I cast my ballot. In fact, I cast my ballot for George Bush, and you may recall, Mike Jones, that this was wait, wait. no small point of consternation between the two of us. 
Jonesy took that knowledge and he buried it. He deep, did deep, very yeah. deeply. In fact, yes, deeply. Yes. I wow. Yes. How long were you uh, log cabin? Uh, for maybe the three months on uh, that time, that, that, that exact that, time, that, time period. That, that was about that is about as long as it went. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. I uh, I appreciate all of that, Plum. I would just add, Mama Maple Leaf. Uh, it was more difficult to vote as a college student, probably at the time that these statistics were collected in the state of Michigan. Now, because we have. Uh, absentee voting available to anyone for any reason. You don't need an excuse anymore, even though I believe being out of town was an acceptable excuse at the time. Um, I would hope that student voting uh, necessarily increases. And I would also add that there is a lot of research that suggests that this current generation is very politically active and uh, activated. Um, So reason to think that these numbers should improve. And yeah, I voted. Everyone vote. Everyone vote. And actually, I voted after beating Michigan, and it's never been a sweeter day. Never <laughs> been a sweeter day. You had a great day. It felt so good. You had a very good day. Uh, Sawyer Like Tom is up next. So daylight saving time. The worst or absolute worst? She adds, I felt this way long before kids, and it's looking extra bleak now that we're in central time. I would just say Sawyer Like Tom I don't think it has anything to do with your time zone as much as where in the time zone you are. For instance, folks in Michigan have this weird idea about what normal amounts of daylight are, and it's because you're at the very edge, Mm -hmm. the back end of the eastern time zone. Well, and let's be explicit, too, that daylight saving time just ended, right? So what you're in now is actually standard time, and and it's depressing in Michigan, I can't imagine what it has to be like on the East Coast or what it has to look like on the eastern end of central time zone. So yeah, you, it's not fun. You do this to yourselves. Daylight savings time should be the standard time. It should be the mm-hmm. only time, and we should just enjoy daylight. It's better for our brains. It's better for our bodies. It's better for our souls. Who wants to be awake right now? This is uh, uh, silliness. But uh, I will just add in, I appreciate the disclaimer about children, but it is particularly brutal trying to get a two-year-old to inexplicably adjust from their sleeping routine. It's stupid. We should get rid of all of it. Just pick one of them, one of them. And if Michigan has to switch over to central time, so be it. Um, Help me explain the concept of a mascot to my toddler. This is a very child-themed situation. Related question. The toddler wants a Bucky stuffed animal, but not a Sparty. Exactly how much have I failed as a Spartan parent, and how do I fix it? Apparently, I'm not good at talking to people about their parenting choices, so someone else want to take this one? I, I I don't know how to do this except for to express concern for how this child is being brought up. I think you're I mean, wrong on this one. I what's think next? I think uh, Sparty is not something that's a stuffed animal. Indeed, Mm. it's not an animal, but it is an action figure. It is a hero. It is a call to action. It is a leader. Bucky is something that you take to the taxidermist. Yeah. Well, let's be clear. And it's so strangely proportioned, Mm -hmm. Bucky the the badger. Mm -hmm. His whole face situation is concerning. Punchable. Break it down. Very, Uh, very punchable. Here's what I'll add. I, I don't know if this is everyone else's experience. It seems like kids move away you know they phase out of things and then they never go back to them it could be good that uh this child is getting bucky out of its system 
uh, so that it can come around. He can come around to uh, appreciating Sparty in good time. Last question for story like Tom Plum. Are we putting too much of our ability to feel happy on the backs of the athletic performance of teenagers? Knowing these kids are going through the same trauma as the rest of us, it's hard not to see the players the same as the students in her classroom. Zoom classroom, to be specific. I would say I appreciate the sentiment behind the question, but don't be reductivist to the point of thinking that the only um, aesthetic joy that those uh, that the athletic that that the 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 sport the the players feel is um a derivative of of our our satisfaction of our happiness right which is to say that they are getting joy out of being able to play and that has its own positive sum value to it so your your intention to 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 reduce or to conflate your own joy on the backs of them negates the autonomy that they feel at being able to do a thing that they're very good at thing that gives them some sense of happiness um i have to expect because especially considering that every single player at michigan state has been given the option to stand down to sit out um they're they're not losing a year of eligibility they all get to maintain their scholarships if they didn't feel safe they don't have to play um so is there some pressure still absolutely is it because of recruiters is it because of you know playing in the nfl or whatever else absolutely um but i i would i would just caution to say um no it is not too much. Um, I think that we are still able to drive a good sense of happiness and that happiness can come not just at the expense of these uh, young people who are doing a great job of playing football, um, but can also complement the sense of happiness that they're feeling in and of them, their own selves. And Plum, I want to be very clear when you say uh, doing a job, a good job of playing football, you mean to say that Michigan State Spartans are doing a good job of it and Wolverines are not. Which is to say, if Sawyer like Tom was a Michigan fan, then yes, she should feel absolutely horrible because these players <laughs> are very much at the very end of their rope. And if I were them, I would really be contemplating my life choices. <laughs> I, I will add, though, Sawyer like Tom, quickly, uh, you are right to not make this a cornerstone of your identity, though, at the same time. <laughs> Wait, that's not advice that people who host a podcast that is now nearly two hours yeah or over or over maybe maybe break it up (laughs) yeah maybe break this thing up all right anyway on uh thank you sorry like tom uh next up from b list bringing math into the equation Mm -hmm. so we'll send this to plum again uh n equals one tucker might be a useless figurehead coach n equals two Spartans, what is your profession? It's a and plum. Pretend people are as dumb as me and explain what n is. N n just means sample size, right? So what he's saying here basically is when the sample size was one, when we only had one game, when we only had one game in the bag, our concern was, oh my god, Mel Tucker's lost the freaking narrative. What the hell is going on here? But now that we have two games in the bag, it is oh, right back to hunky dory. Look at him taking on everything is awesome. The best parts of our uh, rich legacy. And you know what? It is awesome. It is awesome. So it feels. I'm joyous again. I'm joyous. But what I would say is, I don't know that we were ever as uh, pessimistic as to say that he was a useless figurehead coach. I will say, for my own sake, I did not understand the process, and I will say still. The process is not yet entirely clear to me. And I texted you both several times, at least twice, when we were running on the team. What in the hell has Great. Sorry for all of the robotics from Alex Plum. I'm hoping that my voice sounds normal. Uh, 
Plum went into straight up demon mode there. Last question from B list plans for Wednesday, November 4th. Plum is going to type his in the chat and I will read them. Greg, while I'm waiting for those, give it to me, baby. I mean, are we willing to say like hunker down and prepare for civil unrest? Like, is it going to be a civil war on Thursday on Wednesday? Like, God, I mean, this is worrisome. Everyone get out and vote, do your voting thing. And hopefully we can all exhale on November 4th. We seem to have dropped all the more. This is not a political podcast pretense from previous episodes. Voting isn't political. Voting isn't political. And any notion that voting is political, I reject wholeheartedly. But um, please, everyone, just cast your ballot. Um, Say what you want to be in the future because it's important. It's really, really important. So um, with that, though. That's too somber of a note because we beat Michigan after losing to Rutgers. That's right. That's so. right. And next week, Owen to Iowa. So hopefully we keep this keep this energy rolling. So yeah, no matter what happens on Tuesday slash Wednesday, we still beat Michigan. <laughs> and that makes 2020 wholesale a great year. Buddy, Greg, go green. Go white. Plum, go green. Go white? Whoa! He's back.